To episode 94 of Zapped to the Past. I am Adrian Mills and I'm joined, as always, by Mr. Graham Raddings. If you have not listened before, this is a podcast where we discuss games that were released for the Commodore 64. We are using the magazine Zap 64 as a monthly guide for the games to focus on, but we are in no way affiliated with Zap 64 itself. This week, we start our look at July 1988 and the first batch of games reviewed in issue 39 of Zap64, along with what was also going on in the UK singles and albums chart that month. So Graham, there is a lot in this episode, but what games are we going to entertain our listeners with? In this splendid collection of fresh bread products, we run and jump through the platform block and diamond stream world of Superman. Uh, we run and jump through the platform block and diamond stream world of the Great Diana Sisters. We also suffer a twisted brain wrong and then spit and curse at the jerky horrible mobility scooter shoot 'em up rubbish that is trigger happy. We viciously part our Commodore brown hair before wandering round and round the tiny maps of somewhere uninteresting, eating tofu in Wizard Wars, and we step into the familiarly destructive world of board game capitalism. That's right, we grab £200 as we go and avoid expensive hotels in the Commodore 64 version of Deluxe Monopoly. Do you pop a bit of salt on your eggs in your sandwiches? Well, I do. We also zoom through dazzling multi-layered parallax scrolling backgrounds, blasting random stuff in the technically impressive Tangent. We grab our 8-bit knee pad and helmets as we strap some wheels to our feet and scramble around a car park in the visually impressive Skate Crazy, head into some complex yellow tunnels and caves looking for power cells in the inertially confused and bewildering joystick challenged Thrust 2, before we finally read the endless backstory, climb into our armoured balls and take a roll down the brown road to nowhere in the somewhat broken Road Wars. There are a couple of things in there that are definitely worth another look. Of course, there are also a couple of things that are like a dry heaving dog that has finally thrown up on your cream carpets. Unwelcome. Just plain unwelcome. They are indeed an entertaining bunch. That is a lot, actually. That's a whole lot of entertainment. There's Good a whole value. lot of entertainment, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, there's nothing like that. In these, well, in these trying times where every penny must stretch twice as far, it's good that we can yes. ram as much as we can into each episode of this. Absolutely, absolutely. It is. We're getting, we try and cram in as much value for money as we can by talking about things that blatantly aren't value for money. But that's all good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but, you know, we're doing it vicariously. We're also doing it, you know, without buying these things. So, you know, it's all, it's all savings. One of the things we'll have to add up I was thinking about this for when we do the uh, magnificent supersonic episode 100 coming soon, folks. Um, when we do that is we should add up all of the money we've saved by not having any of these crap games. <laughs> so is that like you saying, Aid, will you add up every price that we've written down for these? Is that what yeah. you're saying? Because yeah, like, you're yeah. not doing You're going to do it, are you? No. <laughs> no, no. It, was, it was just, you know, it doesn't have to be an exact number. It could just be you know, a rough guide. Uh, I'd say about 10 grand. There Goodness you go. me. Goodness Probably. me. Ten grand. A lot, that was a lot of money back in 1988. It was. It was just a lot of money now. A lot of money at any point. That, you'd have gone to the cinema for a full month. 
<laughs> not left. <laughs> you just be sat in this morass of popcorn and sticky coke. Yes, and you'd just yes. be bleh, oozing out. Yeah, it'd be horrible. Just for reference, that's uh, Coca-Cola. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We, did, we'd, we never did the horse. It was the 80s. <laughs> <laughs> well, we never did it. We never, I don't think it reached us. No, <laughs> thank God it didn't, because that 10 grand saving wouldn't have added up to much, would it? Not really, no. Um, if you're wondering why there's albums and singles in this one, it's because there's not many games in July 1988. No, it was, it uh, was Well, there's 16. Which, I mean, our lowest ever for a magazine for an issue before was 12. So there's still more, four more than that. But in comparison to what we have had over the last, well, a couple of years, I suppose, of coverage, it's a, yeah. it's a low number. So there's eight this week, uh, eight next week, and that's July mm-hmm. done. It's a two it's, a, it's an old school two-weeker. One of them for old ages. Old school. So we haven't, actually. And it's always good to think that even in the two-week episodes that we have, there's some quality games in there. The, uh, yeah. Yeah, there are. As well as, you know, the, as well as the, <laughs> the, the casualties, of course. <laughs> as well as those that we that we will come to in in some time and cover. Yes. Oh yes, oh yes, we've got we've got things to talk about, haven't we? We have. So should we get into them? I think that's enough uh, ribald yeah. intro. I think so. All right. Okay, well let's get into our first game. Actually, no, we haven't talked about the cover. Then reverse. <laughs> <laughs> this, this podcast is reversing. <laughs> this podcast is reversing. <laughs> um, you're right, it's got a, actually. It's got, we didn't. We didn't. Um, so it's a skateboarder in the mold of our California games kind of cover. It's another one of them, isn't it, really? It's a similar sort of it style. Is. It's a sort of a action, young youth action figure. Yes, similar. I noticed the stripe is back. That always pleases me. What, at the bottom? The no, top. the stripe across down the side, the one that says Commodore in big letters. Oh, right, yes, yeah. <laughs> no, it's yeah. back. It, it disappeared last last time, and now it's back. I like it that, did. I like it. It affirms it my central feeling about what this magazine must have been about. 64 what? Commodore. Now I know. Yeah, Commodore, yeah. Commodores, yeah. So, let the good times roll. Skate crazy, that's what the cover's for. It's a well-drawn young boy in uh, roller skates yeah. with his Zap 64 hat on. Did you ever? Did you ever own a pair of roller skates nope. your whole life? I've no, tried I a pair. Didn't. I tried a pair on, and it was near death. Yeah, I don't. <laughs> and that I, was it. I mean, someone once said I should try rollerblades, um, and I didn't because I know that from my experience with <laughs> looking at people on rollerblades and roller skates, as these are obviously, um, that's just a recipe for injury, as far as I could tell, and especially with me. I, I remember your um, at one of our staff parties. Your not then, but now wife was rolling around on a Segway, if I remember rightly. She had, yes, she had one of those mini Segways. What do you call them? Like a thingy? A, a Megway. Um, Megway. I don't know. Um, that's like a Mogwai. And she offered <laughs> me a go. That didn't, well, it, I, no. <laughs> well, do you know, the, the one of the reasons that, I mean, that was actually a Christmas present for her daughter. Anyway, long, we'll cut, just cut that part out. Um, <laughs> we'll skip Christmas. One of the, one of the things that I actually did end up having a go on that because I was trying, I wanted, we were planning to go um, snowboarding. I've never snowboarded in my life. It's a very dangerous thing again. Mm-hmm. Um, but this was apparently a good way of getting you balanced, this segue. It was one of those ones that's not like a big segue. It was like a sort of a hoverboard type segue, I guess you call it. I don't know the description. Do you know, I had to go on that briefly. That thing attacked. Yeah, that's what I mean, yeah. It, it, it flung me off. Briefly. I smashed it into a radiator. It <laughs> flung me off and then it like attacked me. It was like, nah. It was, like, it was angry. I'm like, God, God, you weird thing. Never do them. No, they're not built for oh. us. We are not built for segways and those kind no. of things and rollerblades and roller skates. It's not us. I was very good on uh, ice skates, though. I was a good ice skater. Which I'd never, I, again, blades. It's just a bad idea to strap anything metallic and sliceable <laughs> on any part of my body, really. <laughs> Something's going to get lopped off and it might not belong to me. So 
They do, they do call you Grimsby scissor limbs. <laughs> exactly. Old scissor feet's back. Don't let him on the ice for Christ. Don't let him anywhere near it. No, don't. <laughs> no, There's other things on this cover uh, that I do want to uh, bring up. I'll, um, win, win, win. £500 in used notes courtesy of Gremlin Graphics. That sounds really dubious. <laughs> it is dubious. As long as you give the game a good review, wink, wink. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's exactly what I thought. I wonder where those used notes came from. Yeah, exactly. From the brown envelope where they were stuffed. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> Allegedly. And also, when has anything that's 16 pages been a book? Yeah, I did think that, actually. 16-page book. It's a booklet, maybe. Yeah. It took me to the red drop shadow on that, and I started to twitch, so I stopped <laughs> reading at that point. But, Another yeah. day at the arcade, the book. It's only 16 pages. It's not a book. I've written 16 pages summoned, and I wouldn't call it a book. <laughs> Well, you can now. It's official. <laughs> I've written loads of books, if that's the case. I really have, yeah. Good Lord. A 16-page book, honestly. It's a pamphlet at best. <laughs> it's a leaflet. Our takeaway, by definition, then, is releasing books every other month. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> it's our takeaway, by the way. It really is epic. I and mean, there's only one that services the area where I live. And that does everything. I mean, you must hunt things down to, to fulfil that menu. <laughs> well, you are in the countryside. I know, but venison. And I'm like, what? On a takeaway? He's like, yeah, yeah, just give us a couple of hours. <laughs> Why? What are you doing? He <laughs> <laughs> just uh, so throw a shotgun back. go off. There we go. Oh, no. It's, I was thinking I was thinking, probably bow and arrow. He's got his, uh, getting his Lincoln <laughs> greens on. Anyway, right. There you go. That's the cover. Good, good Sh- cover. Skate yeah. boy. Good cover, yeah. Uh, let's get into some games, shall we? Do it. Do it. Let's move on. And our first game, Graham, it's over to you. It is the gold medal, this issue. Gold it medal, is... gold medal, gold medal. Yep. Thought I'd, I thought I'd put that in. <laughs> <laughs> well done. Thank you. <laughs> it's okay. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, everyone. Thank you. Tell us about the great Guyana sisters. Yes. Now, is it Guyana or is it Gianna? I've always said Guyana. Well, that's because you're crazy. You say scrolling. So all bets are off. Uh, I'm going to call it the great Gianna sisters because that's what I've say? always called scrolling? it. G- yeah, scrolling. Yeah, scroll. scrolling. Scrolling. Yes, yeah, the Elder Scrolls, not the Elder Scroll, is it? You nut job. Oh, anyway, whatever. Anyway, the great, I'm going to say the great Gianna sisters, because that's how I've always said it. Or Gianna. I don't know. It, you know what I'm talking about anyway. And just as a point, I've come to it. I've got a nice little point of interest about that, actually. Um, this is published mm. by Go and Rainbow Arts. Officially. Always believe in your soul. <laughs> oh, I got the power to go. Uh, developer is Time Warp Productions. Nice logo they've got with that melty disc. Mm. Coded by Armin Gassert. He's now sadly passed away, I believe. So, you know, rest in peace, Armin. Graphics are by Manfred Trends. And the musician here is the multi-talented Chris Hulsbeck. Quite the ensemble oh, here. Mm. What a crazy world um, uh, this is. Uh, so here's a question for you. What is the quickest way to invoke the ire of Nintendo? <laughs> Just copy one of their games and try and make it... Uh... Yeah, that's funny. Funny you should say that. This is what I would call a Nintendon't, um, yeah. really. So, yes, one one of the ways you could annoy Nintendo, I'm sure there's many, one of the ways is to blatantly copy one of their primary IPs. Just bear that note in mind. Mm-hmm. And I suppose if we roll the clock back a little bit before the time of this, it's a bit funny, isn't it? Because there were a lot of clone-type games back in the early days. Of, I mean, yeah. how many variants? I was going to do a little bit of research on this, which I didn't get to do, which was how many variants of Donkey Kong were there out there in Pac-Man and Space Invaders. I know there was a predate this by some time but there was hundreds of them out there and some of them obviously donkey kong is a nintendo-y thing isn't it yes absolutely so at this particular point i think atari were running the license clock out on nintendo nintendo stuff nintendo would i think they'd already launched the nes in america and and super mario brothers of which this game is a clone of was was bunged with that it was now a package that went with it so it was the game that came with the thing so it was already a massive hit over there 
And they had their eyes firmly and the lighthouses were all firmly pointed at the international market for this. They didn't really have a big foothold there because of the Commodore 64 and the Spectrum and all the other crazy things that we internationalers don't take too kindly. So bring your <laughs> Nintendo over here. Think you're going to play your bloody games, do you? All oh, right, then we will. So anyway, uh, back in the day, there was a lot of you know variants of Donkey Kong Pac-Man. And so you, you suppose you could kind of, if you're being kind, you could sort of see how that might have pervaded some of the thinking behind the Great Giant Sisters. Kind of, maybe. Kind of. So the story of the Great Giant Sisters is a weird and woolly one, actually, with lots of misdirected facts. Case in point, the rumor that Rainbow Arts, go, were sued by Nintendo. That is, from what I can gather and all the research I've done, not true. Or at least not publicly true, because I can find no... No indication that that ever actually happened in any kind of legal framework. However, the game was released for a period in mainland Europe, about seven months from what I can gather. And it was out in the UK for an even shorter time before Nintendo, I believe, and the common thread here is that they threatened some kind of legal action, I guess. Mm -hmm. Um, So the game following that, once it was taken off the shelves, of course, because it did end up getting removed, it did come out later in a different way, but it was removed at this point. The game sort of passed into legend, then kind of folklore, then it was rebooted and remade and it's been released and there's been sequels and all sorts of stuff. It's a bit of a weird journey this game's had. I picked this up back on the C64 from the scene, back in the C64 scene way back in the day. I have never seen an original Gianna Sisters in my life box. Apparently it's incredibly rare these days. Anyway, the game. We'll come back to a little bit of the preamble. Documentation for... Uh, Gianna Sisters is as follows. One night when little Gianna, or Gianna, or Gianna, from Milano, I'm guessing that's Italy, was fast asleep. She had a strange dream. Everybody dreams weird things at night. I definitely do sometimes. I once dreamt I was trapped in a caravan, but that's just a whole different issue. But no one will have experienced situations like little Gianna is about to. Gianna, I keep changing the name, Gianna. I'm saying that now. Gianna suddenly finds herself in a strange, mysterious world where everything is completely different. (laughs) Gravity has almost disappeared. Sometimes one feels like flying away. And everywhere, there are unexplainable buildings and structures. Old grottos and deserted castles seem to hide lots of secrets. And frightening and hideous creatures appear. This wouldn't be too bad, except that Gianna can't leave this world unless she finds the magic huge diamond. Oh, Hugh Diamond. Nice bluff. Nice fella. <laughs> Hugh, Hugh Diamond. Hugh Diamond. He's a, di- yeah. He's a gem, <laughs> it's a, that bloke. Gem. It's, real it's, gem. A gem. It's, a, it's a gem. It's a peach. It's a perla. Um, peach? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Don't crush your fruit with your gems. <laughs> this isn't fruity gem game. <laughs> I've, been, I've been playing some kind of fruit gem game for a while. And so she starts searching for this wonderful jewel. Anyway, thank you. Um, however, she's not totally alone for her little sister Maria can dream too. So obviously that is the precedent for the game. You've got to make your way through. So the dream world is divided into 33 stages. Your task is to cross this world unscathed, but you must find the magic diamond to be able to return. You can walk and jump everywhere, but beware. Holes, beds of nails, and fire can be quite dangerous. But the sisters can't try everything as many times as they'd like to. If one of the sisters has five extremely bad dreams, Jana is condemned to spend the rest of her life in the neighborhood of crazy lobsters, dancing eyes, and neurotic appendices. You can tell this is kind of Euro written. By collecting yeah. rectangular blue dream crystals, the sisters can raise their stamina. Extra lives. 100 crystals are needed for each. On the way, uh, the sisters will find many rocks which seem to be, at first sight, quite useless. Perhaps you should try to jump against these rocks from below because more crystals and bonus symbols are hidden there. These are extremely important for your further success and can be collected simply by touching them. I'm guessing that from the description there, from the instructions that is, by the way, you're kind of getting the idea that this plays out exactly like Super Mario Brothers on the NES. Mm -hmm. You'd be right. It does, sort of. So this is a nearly brand... Sisters of Mercy. Uh, I said Sisters of Mercy then. I don't know why. This is, I don't know why. <laughs> I don't even know what that would be. Oh, 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 oh. That's the, the Brothers of Clemency. Um, so <laughs> this is a nearly brand Super Mario Brothers. 
It's the I can't believe it's not Super Mario Brothers of games. It's the seal bars instead of penguins, the Norpak butter instead of Lurpak. It's the stackers, not Pringles, the chocker hoops, <laughs> not Weetos. It's the bloody Natoka, not Nutella. That's what's going on here. That is an actual thing, Natoka. I know, I know. Bought some. Nice. <laughs> it's lovely. Yeah, it's just like Nutella. It is, yeah. Can't believe it's not the teller. Um, this is the golden arcs, not the golden arches, and these buns have no seeds. Yep. Um, although the buns do have some seeds, but I don't know. Anyway, it's, you, you get the idea. This is a clone. What we're dealing with here is a one or two player, 33 stage multi-platform scrolling game, All right? It is a clone of the NES game Super Mario Bros. There's no way around it. Obviously, there are some differences, enough to try and avoid direct IP infringement. I give them that. They tried. <laughs> Um, so the goal here is to well. collect them. <laughs> no, not well at all. The goal here is to collect the magic huge diamond. The sisters are characters, obviously it's sisters. Um, the enemies aren't quite the same. It is thematically altered, but the core game, that is Super Mario Brothers. There's no way to avoid it, is there? So in the Great Gian Sisters, you run to the right, as you do in the Mario game, jumping on platforms, headbutting blocks to remove them or hide hidden diamonds or rocks. You can also collect the diamonds as they are strewn across the level. Your progress is thwarted, thwarted by enemies that get in your way. Um, enemies such as round things, blobbies, and other items, other nondescript items that don't look anything like the things in Mario at all, even though they move no. like them. Mm-hmm. So they do kind of get in your way, and that means you need to navigate through it. And of course, gravity is very light here, so you've got kind of a floaty jump, a bit like Mario. Then you have to sort of scroll across to get across the level in a certain amount of time, a bit like Mario. Don't dilly-dally or anything like that because you'll run out of time and that's the end of one of your dream lives, whatever. Some of the blocks will reveal extra powers akin to Super Mario Brothers, but different enough to avoid outright IP infringement, I felt. Fire wheels power you up to a punk, so you turn into a punk rocker. Not sure what the relevance of that was. In fact, that only really comes into play in the later versions of the game on other platforms. Mm. You can get like little lightning bolts, which give you dream bubbles, uh, which is what those balls are to you and me. Dream bubbles, which is a ball you can throw or a dream bubble. Double lightning makes them bounce. Magic bombs kill everything. Clocks that freeze everything. You get the idea. This is just Mario. The title screen in this is a large, bold scrolling message, which I think looked pretty good. Made out of the, you know, the, the sort of blocks from the game. Pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Fab music from Chris Shields back in this. I love the Genesis music. I always have. Um, just an interesting side note, by the way. Has it, has it ever occurred to you about the naming of the of uh, Super Mario Brothers? No way. Because, of it? course, well, if you think about it, right, this game is called The Great Giant Sisters, isn't it? Yeah. So these are the only Giant Sisters that are great. The Great Giant Sisters. Super Mario Brothers, that's just a collection of brothers that are super. Just anyone could be a Super Mario Brother, couldn't it? Because it's not the Super Mario Brothers, just Super Mario Brothers. That's, anyway, that is true. I'll leave that with you. Um, <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> we'll park that for now. Um, so the controls uh, are all by joystick. The game is pretty tough in the same way that Super Mario Brothers is kind of tough. Same sort of reasons, really. Levels are pretty short, though. And I don't have enough experience, and I'm going to ask you this question, Adrian, because you've played a lot of this with the NES version of Super Mario. Are they longer, the levels in that, than this? Because the levels felt incredibly short on this. Yeah, they are. They are longer. I thought they might be. So um, they're not quite the same. Uh, In an interview, Manfred Trent stated that they are all apparently uniquely designed for the Great Giant Sisters, so they don't look anything like the levels that are in Super Mario Brothers. They don't maybe not look the same as the way they're laid out in total, but they do kind of look the same, really. As a C64 game, then, this is a competent and incredibly well-realized side-scrolling platformer. Graphics are excellent, enemies are possibly a bit sparse, I have to say, but the controls are fast, no bugs, and the sprites all look like they fit into the world that's defined. The audio throughout the game is excellent, as is the general production of this, and this is something that comes back with them when they do Catechist, another game which is exceedingly similar to a game which involves (laughs) inevitable shelf removal and trouble. Anyway... So I think this is actually pretty amazing as a C64 game. The play area is large. Everything moves and operates as you would expect it to. 
I like it. I've always kind of liked it, even across some of the later variations. However, this is a clone of a game. But a clone by this point was, well, I don't know. Did it really get released? Um, I mean, at this point, I think Nintendo were pretty much adamant that no none shall ever release a Mario game on anything other than Nintendo hardware. And they've kind of stuck to their guns with that. So were they trying to take an opportunity to sort of turn uh, to try and get a game out that kind of, because there was no Mario game of this type on the C64, nor would there ever, was there ever going to be. So they think, let's try and get one out there. And I wondered, had this occurred earlier before um, Super Mario Brothers was bundled with the NES and it sold truckloads, maybe this might have been something they might have got away with. But at that time, in that hour, <laughs> um, <laughs> Nintendo were heavily leveraging the Super Mario Brothers license on their own platforms and aiming solely at the international gaming space, and you weren't going to stand a chance against them. And we'll come back to a funny footnote about that as well. I think the sad thing is that this game never got the foothold in the UK that it should have at the time. I don't think it was on the shelves for very long. I don't remember ever seeing it on the shelves at all. And nobody really talked about it because it was never really released. Even the Zap review was kind of came and went, and it was just a game that kind of blipped on the C64 radar as a very high quality game. They even make mention of the fact that it's basically our version, the C64 version of Super Mario, but it blipped and it disappeared. I think, obviously, it was no longer in Europe. I think it was withdrawn, from what I can gather. But the truth, I imagine, is that that potential litigation from Nintendo, whether threatened otherwise, led to this game never actually getting off the starting blocks, which I think is a little bit of a shame, really, because there's obviously quite a lot of work gone into what they've done here. Later, they did release a sequel to this, which looks weird. Did you look at the sequel for this? I've played the sequel. I think I've got it on the Wii U. No, I mean on the C64. Oh, on the C64. No, I didn't look at the sequel, yeah. no. Yeah, the Great Genesis is too. It looks weird. It looks more like a... It's more robotic. It's kind of strange looking. Mm, I'll have a look. Um, it's lost... It's lo- I mean, if you, they've made a really deliberate attempt to make it look as nothing as Mario-y as possible in that one. And of course, then it came out on later um, platforms and stuff. There's even anecdotal evidence that suggests Nintendo were not even that aware of the original... Um, the Great Genesis at the time, but became more aware of it on the back of other things. And there's a really good uh, retro gamer online article, The Making of the Great Genesis, which I'd recommend you go and read because it's a really cracking interview with uh, Manfred Trends all about the making of this game and how he got into it. I think it's a bit of a cracking game, really, this. I've got an interesting quote here from that particular article, which I'm just going to read out. Mm. And it says, charged with creating both uh, the game's look and its level design, Trends, Manfred Trends, soon realized that he was in a very delicate position as he had to create a title that was immediately recognisable as Super Mario Bros., but not enough so that it would cause potential trouble for Rainbow Arts. Fail. As a result, the creation of many aspects, such as the layout of stages and the main character, took Trends and Gesset a fair amount of time to perfect, meaning their game wasn't fully completed until a good six to seven months of hard graft. Six to seven months for that is incredible, for two guys. Yeah. That, that's genuinely amazing. Yeah. Um, so I think it, great music, good graphics, in of itself, this is a great game, but it's not original in the slightest, and it is really a clone of another game. And I don't know if that means it's... I don't know if I find that problematic or not, looking back. it's It was a deliberate strategy from Rainbow Arts produce production team to make this look exactly like... They even gave them the Super Mario console, mm. and they played it side by side. So, you know, there's no way, way around it. I just think that... I think it's a great shame that this game never got the shelf life that it deserved because it is pretty good but you're rolling the dice aren't you here at this point in time you're rolling the dice you know you've got a massive game company releasing a big product like that releasing a clone of it i think it was brave but in the end it was it, i mean i know it paid off in the end because the game came out later on in different ways and i think it was even kickstarted at one point for the later ones that came on the consoles but at this particular time i really enjoyed it but it is just a clone of another game and i don't know if that really kind of dampens its fire a little bit i don't know that it deserved a gold medal really but maybe you know maybe in retrospect if you took it for what it is 
great little platform game, fine. But I don't know. I can't get the cloney thing out of my mind. I don't know why. I guess it's because it's a clone. What did you think? I think that I think it does deserve its gold medal. I think it is very, very good. And I think it's a very, very impressive piece of coding to get 32 or 33, whatever it is, levels like this on the C64 in one load and everything and all the secrets and all the bonuses. Yeah, and there's a lot of stuff there. in there. So there's loads of stuff and it's a very, very clever thing. And I, and I think that Tekken as it is at the time, if you think that this is just released and it lands in Zap's offices and they've, you know, they're aware of Super Mario Brothers, they, they reference it a couple of times, you know, I think most of them say about it in the review, but they all say, even despite that, this is a very good, it's a clone yeah, of it. And yeah, that, but, that's, my, that's my feeling on it. I think it's just tainted a bit. I don't know why. Yeah, I just don't think they saw it like that. It's just because it was, I think, it, like you said, back then, it didn't really seem like a bad thing. It was like, we're never going to get Super Mario Brothers on the C64, so here's a version of it, and it's a very good version. Of course, there's, there's cloned and then there's inspired by, and, there, and it is a clone. I mean, some of the, the opening levels and stuff are very, very similar to the point where, like the second yeah. level, you can bash your way through the roof and just run across the roof um, like you can in Super Mario Brothers and just yeah. bypass the whole level. All it lacks is that option at the end where you can walk through to later levels by dropping into the little bit at the end on the second level. Interestingly... I mean, I've, I've got not got much more to say, but I really like this. It plays well. It's a little floaty, a little. Um, it feels a little bit more cramped than Super Mario Brothers does. It's probably the resolution. I don't know whether this NES is a better. I don't know. But it just feels a little bit more cramped and a little bit yeah. not quite as... It's not quite as tight, controllably. And it also lacks the sprint of Super Mario yeah, Brothers. Yeah, a lot of those extra moves aren't there, are they? The stomp yeah. and the sprint and that. Yeah, so there's, there's little things like that, which are, you know, a, a strange omission. But, so I'm not going to say much about this. Interestingly, this isn't the only big team that tried to do a version of super mario because for if you've you've read it and you've read um masters of masters of doom mm-hmm. that the the id carmack and usually the guy john john romero they did a version of super mario on the pc and they they presented it to nintendo didn't they and nintendo went no <laughs> well that's what they do um and that so that they? became what was it captain what was his what was that platformer game they released Ooh. I can't remember the name. I can't remember the name of it, but it's like one of their first big games just before they went into the sort of 3D realms with Hover Tank and stuff. They're known for protecting their IP, aren't they, Nintendo? You're never yeah. going to get away with it. I mean, even yeah. when they released that recent version of Super Mario, which someone did an actual version, didn't they? Amazing, an amazing actual version of the Mario game. It got yeah. like seven days it was out there in the free world before Nintendo stepped in and seasoned desisted it and still yeah. are. You, still, you can still get it if you know where to look like. But, yeah, um, it, it's there. Yeah. Yeah, I just can't remember what Commander Keen. That was it, Commander Keen. Ah, uh, yeah, that, yeah, yeah. That was the uh, id version. So that you know, and then they they did release that platformer on the PC and very clever coding behind it. But yeah, so it was a case of we want a version of something like this on other machines, and so we're just gonna. If Nintendo won't share, then we're just gonna nick it. It's a shame. Maybe you know, but back then you know, Nintendo were a very different beast to what they are now. They owned console land in the in America, especially by this point, nineteen eighty eight. It was all NES. There was there was nothing else. I mean, the yeah, master absolutely. the master system was sort of a speck in its you know speck in, in the uh, rearview mirror behind the NES, which was conquering or conquering in the America yeah. at the time. I don't so, remember much about the NES in the UK. Was it? Did it get a lot of the traction? Net, well, consoles nearly didn't. They didn't really. It was probably the Mega Drive and SNES that yeah, it's the came, ones I remember. came over here. I knew one person with a master system, but I didn't know anybody with a NES. So. I knew loads of people no, with, you I know, don't. I knew more people with Amstrads. Goodness me. That's, <laughs> that of, that's the sign of the times in Britain. Yeah, it is. So, and obviously more, loads more people with Spectrums and loads more people with Commodores. But this is, I mean, but taking on face value, just taking as it is and on its own, this is a good platformer. It's probably the best one we've played so far on the C64. Oh, by miles. By miles. Very, such accomplished programming in that. It's yeah, it's very belief. good. It's very clever. It sounds great. The music on the title screen is lovely. All the little interstitial jingles, boom, 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 are all excellent. They sound a lot better than that. 
they do, but that's the main, main just a little sort of tune yeah. bit, you know, that sort of three yeah. notes. All, all, all of it. It's Chris Shieldsbeck is a master. He's yeah, a master. So that's all really good. I mean, the graphics are quite they're nice enough. They're pleasant enough. It looks what it is. It looks solid. It feels good. It's nice and easy to play. It's easier than I remember. I seem to remember it being quite hard. Yeah. But this, I've, it's I've it's a bit empty, a, isn't it? It is a bit, a bit empty. empty. I think that's the thing with it. It's a, it's a little bit short. The, the levels are just a little bit lacking in challenge at times but it's you know i think at the time i think it definitely deserves gold medal looking back on it now it's a weird and interesting historical footnote and we'll see like you like you mentioned we'll see legal shenanigans from this lot in a few issues time when when the next game comes along but you know it all leads to turrican doesn't it so all roads lead to turrican yeah and funny i think it was this and the obviously the catechist they're the two game engines that they combined all that code set to make turrican happen so yeah there's a lot of the a lot of the Little code in here that's in there, right? Amazing, really. But no, it's a, it, it's it, great, great, great Gianesis, as I'll say, as you say, great Gianesis. It's an interesting game. It's a very interesting game. I never saw it out in the wild. I got it through a never. copy, but and I was like, and I and I, at that point as well, nineteen eighty eight. No, re, no, I had no reference to Super Mario Brothers. So this was really my first super mario game in a lot and i think it yeah. was probably a lot of people in in britain's first as well so might have been actually yeah thinking about it i mean they um they got i think they got because the, have you seen the co- various covers that came out for the different versions for this game like the box uh, yeah i've seen some of them yeah so i think one of them makes a reference to sort of kicking the brother's ass or something like that in a sort of yeah cocky it doesn't way. surprise me doesn't yeah, it didn't end me. well for them no, it didn't. <laughs> and the loading screen, I didn't mention it because it's, it's a bit odd. It's it's over it over it's over dithered. <laughs> yeah, it's too much dithering and it looks like Spaniards been doing steroids. I don't know. It's not a good combination that. It's really bad, isn't it? Yeah. I've considering everything else, it's uh yeah. yeah. What, what is that green thing as well? It's the <laughs> <laughs> that's one of my favourite things I've seen in ages. It's the, the laughing, the laughing creature. It's brilliant. Just, yeah, yeah. Okay. I mean, you do fight a, like a dragon thing in the game, don't you? When you get to that level, I, I guess. But yeah, the, the amount of dithering on his skirt and everything and legs is over dithered. Seriously, I mean, obviously we we're not benefiting from the CRT blending that would have gone on there, but <laughs> we're not. But no, it ain't great. It's probably no. the worst thing about this game that loading yes, screen. Yes, yes, I think you're right. But there you go, Garrett. That's what I thought. That's what you think. It's good. go play it if you can find it. Yeah, it is. It is an interesting game. Anyway, there we go. Great Gianesis, the Gianesis, whatever you want to call it. I'm sure I'm wrong. I'll, I'll admit it. It's fine. Let's move on. I'm sure, we've got great games coming up. <laughs> yes, yes, we have. Yeah, yeah. And our next one is, well, from the highs of... This one's got a nine in its percentage True. as well, but I haven't got anything yeah. else. <laughs> it's yeah, just a nine. It's, just that it's more of a German literal translation of what your feelings will be when you see it, I think. <laughs> yeah, the great guy, people played this and went, nine, nine. <laughs> <laughs> and no, no, just one nine, just one nine. This is trigger happy. This is from those masters at CRL. Uh, this was full price, nine ninety five. It's got nine percent. Right, trigger happy. If you've not had your fill of jerky side scrolling shooters where you cannot move when you shoot after Thundercross and its fight against the giant space Hoover, then here's the direct sequel, Trigger Happy, and it'll send you truly over the edge. This is from CRL, and it's the same team that gave us the aforementioned space Hoover Blasterthon that was Thundercross. So we have design, coding, and graphics by Jeff Lee, music by Jay Derrett, and this and this maybe like playtesting. By John Law, Martin Izzett, and Ho Derrett. Three people. Took three people to playtest this. I don't know what was going on. One held the control. 
One held the joystick, <laughs> one pressed the button, I think. I don't know. It comes from CRL's Zen room. Anyway, supposedly, the story goes, some alien forces are causing havoc in the outer reaches of the stratosphere, and you have been called on to pilot your advanced flight capsule and take down the 32 ships that are doing whatever it is they're doing up there. That's it. There's a password system to this, and that's the first thing it asks you upon loading. Um, do you want to put in a password? If you don't, you, you go. So for every ship that you manage to destroy, you gain a code. So if you defeat it, that allows you to start at the next one along instead of at the beginning every time. This is one of only two good things about this game. Uh, the second is the music, which is a decent track from Jay Derrett on the title screen. Um, there you go. And it also lists the credits for this. There's not a lot else on the title screen. Onto the game. It takes up just about the whole screen. The UI is right at the bottom, showing your score and shield strength. You have one life. Should your shield run out, it's game over. So you pilot your AFC, which <laughs> American fried chicken. <laughs> it may as well be. <laughs> it may as well be from left to right. And as the screen constantly scrolls over the hulks that you need to blow up, you pilot your craft around and find that they have learned nothing, nothing from Thundercross. Because like that game, you can move and shoot, but never the twain shall meet. <laughs> never the twain. Stupid idiots. Um, absolutely. It's Windsor, it's Windsor Davis and what's his face all over again. Holding down the fire stops you moving and you can then fire constantly in whichever way the joystick is held. Release the fire button and you can move again. This was not a good idea in Thundercross, and it's not a good idea here. The graphics are a blurry mess of bas-relief style ship design uh, with crosshat shading everywhere. It's just everywhere, and it's a mess. Your main, sp- uh. <laughs> Your main sprite is huge and expanded, and it looks like you are piloting a mobility scooter across the screen. That's what I thought. It's also side-on, your, your sprite. Whilst the ship is seen from the top down. So you're basically attacking this thing lying on your side. Which is is just stupid. The sound effects are constant and annoying and seem to change in tonality for some reason as you hold down fire. I don't know what's going on. Whether it's some filter settings or something or just changes, I don't know. You're firing the same amount of characters just all over the place. Sometimes, though, you are firing three lines of fire. Sometimes just one. Who knows? Sometimes, you know, there's no rhyme or reason to any of this that I could figure out. So because you're... Your AFC, your uh, American fried chicken, is massive. It's hard to avoid anything. And lining up your shots is a pain as everything works on a character grid. This is character grid heavy rather than sprite-based. This is you move on the character grid. So what this means is that the character movement and scrolling are jerky. Very, very jerky. Your bullets are characters as well. So, and although, yeah, there are a lot of them. So the game does slow down as you scroll along when you're shooting, and that's more bad things. It's just all bad. It's a, is it green you're going over at the start of one? It's horrible. It's ugly. It's all horrible. There's too many things to fly into. It's far too narrow. Everything just blows up around you and just hits you. The collision detection's all over the shop. There are some things that are marked bonus or greed, which are weird. Too weird. Bo- what greed? Bonus restores your shield as far as I can make out. I don't know what greed did. Pfft, who knows? It killed you. Well, I thought it was supposed to be good according to the 80s. You it know. killed you. Yeah, no, no, it's okay. not in this. Greed, greed is bad. Greed kills you instantly. <laughs> Martin Gecko would be rolling over in his uh, coffin if he was, you know, yeah, he, if would, he, was he dead. would not be happy with this game. Your shield will be whittled away in no time, as there's so such little space to avoid anything that is sticking up from the spaceship you are flying over. You just hit everything. You can't shoot. It's jerky. You can't. We can't move and shoot. God damn it! It was bad in the first one. It's just doubly bad now because you've just shown you didn't learn. This leads to a very unsatisfying play experience. This could have been okay, I guess, with smoother scrolling and a smaller ship to control. But as it is, it's another dud from CRL. It, it got 9%. I think it's a bit harsh. It's not Lee Enfield and Win Bobnabad. Um, I don't think so anyway. Oh, I, I don't, think, think it bloody well is. I don't think it's in that realm. I don't think it, it's play, I mean, Lee Enfield was in, essentially unplayable and is only 1% less. This at least is playable. No. There is You can play it and it's, it's not very good. It's not above 20. It's in the low teens. 
but it's I think nine percent single digits is a bit harsh, but but it's still utterly utterly crap. And it's got a name like Trigger Happy, you know, it's like Thundercross and Trigger Happy. Good names, just crap, crap behind them though. It's oh no, this is a bad thing. Well, that was their logo, wasn't it? Good names, crap games. <laughs> You come, come for the, the name. T-shirts names. and everything. <laughs> you come for the name, run away from the game. Uh, awful, awful, an awful thing, this. Yeah, just dreadful. Did you, I'm presuming that if you think it's that bad, you, you hated it as well. Absolutely. Just what? What? Why do this? Why? The sequel to Thundercrap that nobody wanted. Nobody wanted Thunderlips, innit? You know, nobody wanted that. No, we, we featured that Thundercrap in uh, episode 85 and I ate it on it then. So I'm just doubly hating on this garbage. I mean, bloody hell. What? This is really bad. From the badly conceived Starfield and the weird shifting of the high scores to the god-awful title screen and the odd sample clappy shrill music that pierces your brain via the ear. (laughs) Everything here, well, everything here has that crappy sample core. Everything here suffers from the same ham-fisted approach to game design as Thundercrap. And at its heart is the ugliness inside. This game is ugly. Ugh. I noted that the credits stated playtesting like you. Are they f***ing blind? <laughs> I can only assume they didn't. John, they Martin and Ho, I'm looking at you. <laughs> oh, oh, no. Yes. Disharmonious broken tumble dryer audio. Um, <laughs> I mean, Jesus Christ, this game, it just the main sprite, as you rightly pointed out, looked like a pension on a mobility scooter. Yeah. Um, and, and I thought the same as you. It's side-scrolling, but it's top-down. I was like, a and instantly i was like brain hurts brain hurts <laughs> i had a brain wrong at that moment and i don't like getting them no and then the, the jerky bright green light blue and gray mesh background judded interview i'm like oh my lord smooth scrolling in 1988 please smooth scroll. it's got a chip that does it considering the game we've just played just i'm just going to say these letters again and these numbers d zero one six okay it's not a mystery <laughs> Even your main your main sprite moves by the judder. It's by the judder all this. Judder, 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 judder. The yeah. scaling's way off, by the way, isn't it? The scaling's oh, you're your massive. sprite's massive, and everything's kind of it's just it's all way off. And the shooting was like thund, like you say, it's like thundercrap. All in every direction, all at once. Uh, stupid. It made no sense whatsoever. I was blown up parts of the background. I don't know why. What it was for, I don't know. I just accumulated score and watched my shield deplete and then died. Which is depressing. Yeah. And that's all that's on the UI as well. So it's not like you, you know, just all the information is there, I suppose. It's just utterly, utterly, utterly dreadful. I mean, this is bad. This this piece of shit was released at full price. I mean, goodness me, that demonstrates about as much disregard and contempt for C64 gamers as I have ever seen. This is shocking. It's a triple bill, isn't it? With Bob Lee Enfield and this for full price. Trigger, I mean... Goodness me. The only thing that would get trigger happy is the crazies. This is shocking. It's awful. Awful. Trigger unhappy. There's nothing good about this game at all. It deserved zero in my book. 9% was bloody generous. It's crap. £10. Are you having a laugh? £10. <laughs> if I'd have got that as a present from somebody, I'd have hit them with it. So, and I, you know, I'd have just got the cassette. I'd have just taken, you know, taken it out and I'd have smashed it really out into the forehead and go, rethink what you're doing. Sort yeah, your life out, mate. If you'd have thrown it out there, you'd have, you'd have had to then let go of the fire button to move away from them. <laughs> exactly, yeah. <laughs> to attack them in the same way as you do in this game. It's like just the really awful. bizarrest fight moves. I don't want to think about it anymore because it got me angry in all sorts of ways that I haven't been for a while. These games, I was hoping July would be a bit of a break from the crap, the gang of crap, but no... Another contender for the crapo El Tutti crapo comes along. <laughs> Get lost, Trigger Happy, you piece of shit. Um, anyway, that's what I thought. Yeah, there we go. It's not very good. Let's move on. Let's get. Let's leave that jerky nightmare alone. Well, then. 
And we'll move on to the next one. Graham, it's time to... We, we looked at the crap version for a while ago, back, but, you know... We did. Wizard Wars. I'll, 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 leave, it to, I'll leave it to you. It's time to war as a wizard, I guess. Yeah. It's Wizard Wars with a Z for all you crazy kids out there. <laughs> for you rads. <laughs> for you rad kids with a Z. Uh, this is £9.99s with a Z. Uh, it got 30% though. Oh, 30%. It's not good, is it? Published by Go again. Coded by Paul Clancy. Um, graphics by Martin Calvert. Title screen by Martin Calvert. Music by Ben Benny Daglish, of course. Music's pretty good, actually. It's the one good thing I like about this. The player starts as a junior wizard with relatively little power and a few spells to start the game with. This is from the instructions. His ultimate mm-hmm. aim is to become the chief wizard by beating the seven greatest magicians in the world. Call them wizards. You can't just change from wizard to magician in one sentence. <laughs> uh, it's, the, game's, it's, the game's called Wizard Wars, not Magician Wars. That would incur in thoughts of Paul Daniels having a fight with uh, David Copperfield, which would be cool. It would have to be called Magician Melee. <laughs> That's, that works for me. Just don't, or don't crush. with a Z. <laughs> But then malaise just, just sounds like a bad time. Oh, I said a bit. I was suffering from a bit of a malaise. Don't cross your wizards and your magicians. All right, it's one or the other. I know you'll be throwing sorcerers in there soon. And we'll all be we'll all be down. And then it says uh, when a monster is close, its picture is displayed on the right hand side of the screen. The player picture on the left hand side is always visible <laughs> and never changes. Don't I can let's see. Don't, don't, I'll get there. <laughs> There are three different play illustrations showing at which level play has reached. <laughs> when the player comes into contact with a monster in, level, in levels one and three, or selects a monster in level two, stupid, a combat arena is displayed in place of the map. Uh, combat arena, all right. The combat arena shows the player and enemy sprites and has obstacles in the form of holes in the patterned playing area. Holes, okay. Combat shows the two forms. I just assumed one of its forms. <laughs> <laughs> The player and monsters uh, cast and throw spells. Monsters are able are also able to cause damage by touching the player character. Don't touch my cloth. Whatever you do, my wizardy cloth. Um, spells can alter the vision of the target, making movement and combat more difficult because that's really what you need in a game like this, more difficulty around moving around. Yeah. Because um, damage to the target, prevent damage from some enemy tech, delete or steal enemy spells after the movement abilities, blah, 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 blah. The player or monster has a limited number of, a limited maximum number of spells, which is stupid. That would, that would, Imply that you have a limited brain capacity to not remember only a few things. And well, you, you have do a spell as a wizard. Book, but you have a spell book with more than four pages in. Yeah, but as a wizard, if you play Dungeons and Dragons, you know you can only learn a few when you're low level. Just don't tie me into this dungeon. There's not, <laughs> this is about as much to do with Dungeons and Dragons as I, I do having a crap. Um, as he <laughs> so progresses, <laughs> the player will fill up his spell book. Yeah. <laughs> and we'll have to make certain decisions as to which spells are most useful. There's an entire list of all the spells in the uh, yeah, in there the, is. Uh, manual for this. So. I won't help you. Um, so, yes, uh, this will depend on how skillfully the game is played. Both the player and the enemies have energy in three areas. Not that you'd know that by which area means what, because it's not labelled. Anyway, mm-hmm. in three areas being used up by movements and spells. They are phi, physical, spy, spiritual, and men. <laughs> Mental. <laughs> I'm high on phi, medium on spy, <laughs> but low in men. <laughs> oh, if only it would rain men. I heard there was a song for that once. <laughs> Podcast friend Gary's uh, mum was often high in phi, medium in spiritual, and low in men. <laughs> Maybe she was high in men. I don't know. She was a happy lady. She was that. always a, well, yeah. She was she was always full of beans. Energy <laughs> may be regained during the game in a number of ways, such as eating food. That's the main way you'll find that. Winning combats. The plurals in this game start to frustrate me in this manual, by the way. <laughs> Winning combats and by transferring from category to category. Okay. So that that's the, the that's that's the crux of the game. Did you get that? Complicated really. And this is all played yeah. out in one crappy screen. So for level one, which is, I didn't really get very far into it, I have to say, but for level one, 
The player moves around a large scrolling map on which are found seven cities and six monsters. Each monster is a treasure guardian and each treasure belongs to a city. When the player visits a city for the first time, he will receive one food. I can feel my eyes twitching. If the player returns a treasure to the city to which it belongs, he will get two food. (laughs) Two food. Two meats. Not tofu, two food. Okay. Do you really get tofu? No, you get two food. Sorry. Oh, I was looking forward to that tofu. Um, when all six treasures have been returned to the relevant cities, the player can go to the second level by visiting the seventh city. Yeah. Uh, and the level two, a series of combats, which are intended to decide if the player is suitable to challenge the seven wizards, takes place. Why don't say fights? You can't pluralize <laughs> combat, I don't have, think. I mean, I'm, I'm, you're engaged in a series of combats. Anyway. Combat the level <laughs> Some will allow the player to gain more spells, which will be needed in the final battles. There are approximately 30 different monsters on this level that have widely differing strengths and vulnerabilities. Three of the monsters each have in their possession a magic item that any wizard must possess, and only when these have been gained can the player proceed to the third and final level. The player can choose to combat the monsters in any order, fight in any order, and as he gets to know the game, the player may decide not to fight, use the fight, not to combat certain monsters at all. If his strategy or style of play does not use the spell that a monster will give him as a reward for victory. All right. And then there's the third level. That takes place uh, in a stronghold, of the stronghold of the seven wizards. The player will explore the wizard's den. It's the stronghold of the seven wizards. They can't call it a den. I, mean, I made dens when I was a kid. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know where Fox lives or something. Was that a set? That's a badger. And, and you encounter the creatures that the wizard in question keeps as guards. These monsters are new. And unfamiliar. Eventually, when the guardians have been defeated, the player will meet and fight the wizard. The wizards are arranged in order of toughness. <laughs> what was that? What? what was that bit? The wizards, the wizards are arranged in order of toughness. Ah, toughness, yes. Adrian. Wizards are in order for, of toughness. Wizards are known for their toughness. They're brawn. <laughs> the game seems to have no title screen as such. This no. is me. No, that's 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 by the way. Is that that's it for the game? That's what you got to do and how it plays. And the game seems to have no title screen as such. Could be a quirk of the crack, which after reading it back made me laugh out loud. But okay, it's just a quirk of the crack. <laughs> this game is definitely a quirk of someone's crack. And you jump into the game window. The gate. The you see the screen split into six small squares, one large square, and one rectangle. The left hand side shows your spell book, your player image, and your player attributes. In the middle, larger square is your map game view. Under that, in the rectangle, is your inventory. To the right are your opponent's spellbook, their image, and their attributes. The graphics here are a ropey mix of bamboo, trestle, and blocky representations, including your face, where you are very pink with brown hair <laughs> and a cruel 80s centre parting. Very cruel. <laughs> <laughs> your spellbook is an ineligible thing with mini icons in it representing the spells that don't mean anything to you in any way. Your attributes are an unlabeled bar chart. It's about yeah. as unhelpful as it gets. That is, you start yeah. the game by selecting four spells from the book. This isn't immediately obvious what you're doing. And the guy that's in the manual is very vague, including the key presses that's required. That's right. This game's keyboard and joystick. There's no discernible audio aside from a high-pitched intermittent beep during the game, which actually had me checking my fire alarm in the house. So I thought that maybe that was going off because it was just beep, yeah. beep. Yeah. <laughs> it's really stupid. And so, Adrian, let the wandering around the land of aimless begin. <laughs> I wandered, the game beeped. I wandered some more, the game beeped. There was much beeping, a lot of wandering. I found a castle and picked up and ate some food. I found two foods. That was good going. I found two foods as well. I ate the two foods I had with a really weird sound effect that sounded like I scored a jackpot in a slot machine. Every time I ate it, it was like... <laughs> 
<laughs> God, that's weird. Um, I found a wizard, I think. Got transported to a room full of eyes, which was weird, or eye-looking tiles. Um, a wizard fired at me. I fired back, I think. Tried to change another spell, but you can't do that while the wizard's on the screen. So you've got to run off the screen, change spell, and come back. Did that, missed. Eventually, I ran out of spells, and then fell into a hole and landed on the map. And then there was more wandering, and more beeping, and more wandering, more beeping. You control your mini wizard in the mini display with the joystick. You can fire spells with the fire button. E, eats food. S, select spells. That kind of thing. This game is void of entertainment. Yes. The controls are bitty. The scrolling is crap. And the view is minute. There is little to no direction, meaning or useful information anywhere. A map, a compass, all useful things in an exploration type deal. Imagine a Duke of Edinburgh Bronze Award, Orienting Award, without a map or a compass. You just wander around a lot. It has that promising feel. The music from Ben Daglish is good. Very wizard-like. The idea is okay, too, in that kind of vibe. But, well, Druid and Enlightenment have both been out and are both better by an incredible margin than this. It offers nothing, and its exploring is tedious. There is a whole bunch of enemies with stats and such, but you won't easily find them. And by the time you do, who cares? It's a dull clock, an old bore, a nonsense. <laughs> <laughs> it ain't good. <laughs> the graphics are poor. No game should have that many bamboo borders in it. No, none. It's like being at a garden centre. Um, it's not good. Your character is crap and the enemy is even more so. Your view of the world is so minute and tiny, it's unworkable and unpleasant in every way. This game should be broken on the wheel and I shall think no more of it. I hated it. I hated everything about it apart from the music. It is shit. Uh, what did you think? Uh, what is, is the music Hills Cream Old Bar Tart? <laughs> yes, as it is. <laughs> as soon as it started, I was like, that's on Hills Cream Old Bar Tart, isn't it? It also, as well, sounds really hubbardy um, from Ben yeah, Nagley's piece. It, it sounds, is a bit hubbardy-bubbardy. Yeah, it sounds like Hubbard's sort of medieval pieces. It's all right. I don't particularly like the music. I thought, that, you know, meh. This is a very, very dull medieval. It's like feud. Reminded me of feud, but worse, where that was wandering about. A tiny, window, was tiny window. Tiny window. Tiny window. Tiny window. So tiny, tiny. I was like, you know that meme sort of thing where that guy's going, ah, looking at it, so he's squinting his eyes. That's what this was like when I was playing it. I felt like I needed to get a big magnifying glass like uh, the one in Top Secret when he walks up with his giant eye. <laughs> There's no real need for 75% of the screen to be taken up with the UI. I don't understand it. <laughs> Why? No. Why? No. Um, I was looking at what um, else Paul Clancy has done, and he's not made a game we've liked. <laughs> oh. So he's, we, I don't think we ever looked at Alien. Uh, he did The Force, uh, Game no. Over, Give My Regards to Broad Street, Legend of Cage, oh my God. Miami Vice, oh Time oh Tracks, <laughs> Wizard Wars, no. something called Mission Omega, which we completely missed, Super Soccer, which we missed, and we've got Gaza 2 coming from He'll see some more earlier stuff as well, but we've never liked a game from him. Sorry, Mr. Clancy. Mm. I'm very sorry, yeah. uh, but we haven't. Yeah, everything hems the playing area in. You wander around the small, visible part of the land, looking aimlessly for monsters to fight, to get objects to take to towns to get food for. It's all rather aimless. Why do the monsters on the map look like you? But then the icon shows yeah. them to be like wolves or spiders and the like. <laughs> because it's easy to code that. <laughs> just change the sprite. Yeah, I guess yeah. so. No, this was really bad. And like you said, it's just stupid because the, the it's completely unintuitive. For ages at the beginning, I was just jabbing away at the keyboard and it would go beep, like, I've done oh, something yes. kind of moves. It takes, takes a while. You have to pick Choose the four, your four spells, spells from randomly just moving through them. It's just, well, it's just stupid. And you have to kind of, we had the manual. So looking at the manual and it's got diagrams for the spells there, but then they've been, those spells diagrams are attempted, shall I say, in They're the C64 the version. So it was a guess 
what they sometimes wear. It's like, is that the fireball? I think that's no, the, the fireball. Look, look, fireball look like a dirty, bloody bogey. You know when you've been in a dusty, <laughs> yeah. dusty loft for too long and you sneeze? Yeah. That's what it looked like. It looked like that. Yeah, exactly. So, no, none of, none of this is good. It's, it's just very bad. I mean, if you do want something like this, just go play Master of Magic. It's a, it's a way, way, way better yeah, version and of this in every, in every aspect. And it's been out for two years at this point. So just go play that. Don't play this. This is awful. I don't even remember this back in the day. And this would have been a game, you know, I might have tried. Wizard Wars, okay, yeah, it's a bit interesting, but God's sake, don't play a game on like 20% of the screen and so zoomed out and so zoomed in at the same time. I think it's a, it's a technical feat. It's just rubbish, just rubbish. I don't know if you go for some of that like Ultima, because Ultima's out at this point and think games like that, but you, they've got full screen and stuff it's like that. Uh, just garbage. Yeah, no, no Wizard Wars for me. I did not like it. Let's move along. We've got one more left this section. And that game is an old classic. It's not just Monopoly, it's Deluxe Monopoly. Ooh, from smooth. Le- from Leisure Genius, Deluxe Monopoly. Ooh, feel the deluxe. The version I'm going to be speaking about is the UK version. There are two. There's the US version as well that I played, as, but um, yeah, I there's not much that. difference. There's only difference two I can players, make out. Yeah, only difference I can make out is in dollars. It had US locations, and you can have eight players rather than six in the UK version. But apart from that, it'll seem very, very similar. Anyway, it's Monopoly. It's Monopoly, the classic board game that drives wedges through the hearts of families and lays bare the capitalist in the soul of everyone who plays it. This seems to follow the rules of the game as we would know it. Uh, But to sum it up quickly, for those who may not know, two to six players take turns to roll a dice and move that many moves around the square board made up of 10 spaces on each side. Each space is either a property, um, a chance card or a community chest card, which gives you various things like collect 10 pound, pay pay tax, whatever. It's all very, you know, it's all very uh, monetary based. Um, or there might be some kind of tax square or special squares in the corners or more property like uh, train stations, things like that. Play start on the go space, which is in one of the corners. Every time they go around the board and pass the go again, you collect £200. You start off with £1,500. And the whole point um, is to buy properties. Properties are in sets of two or three. They're sort of next to each other. So you've got the browns, the blues, the oranges, the purples, the yellows. No, no, the reds, the yellows, the greens, the blues, the dark blues. That's the way the colours you've got. And you can just buy, if you buy them. Uh, if you land on all of them um, and they're unsold, you can buy them all. And once you've bought them all, once you land on them again, you can build houses and then hotels and so on and so forth. If an opponent lands on one of your properties, they've got to pay rent. The rent goes up if you've got houses on there. It goes even higher. There's more houses and even higher if, there's, um, if there are hotels. Don't land on Mayfair if someone's got a hotel on it. I do believe that's £2,000, isn't it? I seem to remember. £2,000 in rent. Yeah, Ooh. I think so, yeah. The game continues then. It just goes on and on. There's no, you know, it's an it's a long game, this. Until everyone, until everyone is bankrupt aside from one person who is deemed the winner. Games usually end much earlier than that when it's very, very clear who's going to win because they've just reaped, they've bought everything and got all the money in. So, so it's quite a luck game because it's based on dice rolls, but, you know, you can trade and things like that. There are more rules and some bits and bobs, but I'm going to shoot, most people playing this know them. We've all played Monopoly probably. This version was coded by John Balderchin. The odd name, Balderchin. <laughs> <laughs> He's got a massive beard, I bet. <laughs> I'm really hoping so. You're not exactly, you look nothing like I expect you. <laughs> I get that a lot. Why, it'd be like, why do you say that? Because <laughs> um, you don't look uh, like a John. <laughs> she got blue eyes. I thought you'd have brown eyes. Or something, yeah. You know? His only other credit that I could find seems to be he made a version of Scrabble in 1984. This has got graphics by Anthony Scott and music and sound by Steve Barrett not really heard anything from steve barrett so far i did nightmare i don't really remember that but looking at his list of credits he goes on to do a lot of tunes for a lot of games you heard of him steve barrett 
I've not heard yeah, of it. it rings a bell. Anyway, the game loads. So once it's loaded, you can load an old game. So you can save it and you can start again later on. Or you can start a new. You can choose the long classic game or the short game. The short game allows you to set a timer. So you can just play for half an hour, 15 minutes. It's up to you, one hour and a half. You set the timer. Then the banker shuffles the properties and deals two to each player, which they must buy. They have to buy them. Don't matter what they are, they've got to buy them. So in the short game, the person with the most money, when you work it out, there's this complicated properties, all this kind of thing, it all's added up. Whoever's got the most money basically uh, wins, and that's that's what that's what happens. The normal game is just keep playing until you all die, <laughs> or variants of. You can choose the number of players. You can have up to six in this UK version, your uh, European version, uh, and these can be as many human players and computer players as you want. So you can have one player versus five computers, or six humans, or three versus three, or whatever you want. So you can you know have a lot of players in it. It's up to you. Once done, you roll the dice, see who goes first. Off you go. There are options at the top of the screen. These are quit and save. You have a mortgage option, which allows you to mortgage a property you own if you need money to pay rent when you land on someone else's property. So you can sell up a property to get some money back. You can look at owners, which allows you to see who owns what around the board. You can look at houses, which allows you to build on a property. If you've landed on your one where you own the whole set, you can trade, which allows you to trade properties with another player. Dice, there's the option of dice that just basically rolls the dice the next go. There's a couple of uh, sort of player affordance options, which are fast move, which moves the pieces quicker. And cash, which toggles whether each player's cash appears on screen, so you can see how much they've got. Whatever. Uh, below these options, the board itself is played in kind of 3D style. It's like you're looking at it from the side. It sort of goes in, um, sort of 3D. Uh, all the colours, special squares are in the right place. It looks like a Monopoly board. It's an okay version of a Monopoly board, I guess. At the bottom, you've got this little sort of bit in the corner where the dice are rolled, or this weird sort of way they kind of roll along a pavement almost. Uh, the summit info and where you've landed, the squares directly in front of you as you move. It's kind of it. It's all on one screen. You know, you play out on this one screen, you basically play out Monopoly. And it's Monopoly. It's a decent version of the board game. It all works. There's some little music and sound effects things for certain events, like when you pass go. And at this point, I'm not sure what else you would want from a game of Monopoly on the C64. It's exactly what you would could wish for. And I guess that's both its curse and its blessing. Would you get this over the board game version? Would you get six people huddled around the 14-inch portable for a few hours to play Monopoly? Would you? <laughs> would you? No, <laughs> I don't, I don't you think you would. would. Like, you know, I mean, if you loved it, if you love Monopoly and you don't have anyone to play it with, then you can play against computer opponents. There is that. Okay. But again, the pleasure of Monopoly is you know, to crush your enemies and see them driven before you. And you just do not get that from AI Tom or AI Sharon. You just don't. It's just not the same. It's like we said about the scruples thing a little bit and maybe you know, uh, blockbusters. These, these games need more people in them to be playing. It's a social thing. Part of the fun of Monopoly because the game itself isn't that much fun. It's seeing you, you know, the people around you going, ah, I'm losing us. You know, you drive them into the dirt. If you really wanted to play Monopoly on your own, I guess this is probably the best option you had back then. But I can't see it reaching much of an audience when I would guess at this point, just about everybody had the actual board game in their house. You know, most people had a Monopoly. Everybody. It was just, it was, it was synonymous. It was everywhere. So, you know, and even if it did have some knife and teeth marks in it from the last time you played and swore never to play again, it's okay. This, it got 70%. It's a very, very workable version of Monopoly, but it's Monopoly and you're never going to play this version of it. And you probably would never play it back then either. So, whatever. What about you? It was all right. I mean, it's Monopoly, isn't it? Yeah. Um, it's Monopoly. I mean, I, I can't, there's not really a lot you can say that I suppose, if anything, it's a little bit ugly looking, I suppose. But it just looked like a Monopoly game. It played like Monopoly. The only reason you'd really have this, I think, is if you were, you know, you wanted to play against CPU opponents, you might be on a, you know, I don't know. I don't know what context that would be, but that, I can imagine that's probably the only reason. If you don't have Monopoly and you wanted to play, you know, four player and you you against four CPU opponents. I found the CPU opponents on this a little bit dreary. 
um, in that they just seem to land and buy, land and buy, land and buy. There was no rhyme nor reason to it. There's no a- obvious AI to it. They just like, bought on what they landed if they yeah, had an opportunity exactly. to do that. To be fair, that's what so I did felt, as well. Yeah, but it, it is. But, you know, when you're playing with, um, you you know, and you can trade and stuff like that in this, but it just feels a little bit like a lot of these computer versions of really good board games do. And yes, it's got all the component parts and the logic and everything else. And Monopoly's been around since 1935, hasn't it? So it's been around a long time. So... Like you said, I think they, it's almost standard issue at Britain at one point. I think every home in Britain yeah. had a copy of it. Yeah. So I don't quite know what the audience is for this. I guess lonely people that like Monopoly. That's as much as I can figure. I tried the US one as well, like you said. had eight players in it. It was interesting to know what the extra tokens were, because I think one was the iron, flat iron, which I don't think we had in them. But I can never, because I've, I've found, we've had several different Monopoly sets over the years, as you do. And we've had all sorts of different pieces in them. Some consistent, like the hat, and but others strange ones, like the flat iron or the dog, I think. I don't know if the dog was originally part yeah, of it. Yeah, well, we always used to have the dog in ours. My brother always stole that You could, that you one. could, you you could that Google one. it. Not not that it matters, you know. But anyway, Monopoly's Monopoly. Great game, really. The board game's always been good, but it does cause family fights regularly, yeah. I think. <laughs> yeah, yeah, to absolutely. this day, that's going, that's going to cause trouble, that game. Yeah. And now, of course, there's a everything's got a version of Monopoly. There's a Game of Thrones Monopoly. There's a Mario Monopoly. Yeah. There's a, there's a, there's even a Grimsby Monopoly. Oh, um, good Lord. So there is, yeah. You can look it up. There's, there's one for everything. There's lots of regional variations of it. Yeah, it doesn't um, surprise I'm not me. sure what the, the Grimsby equivalent of Old Kent Road is, um, but, um, I'm, you know, someone can Google that and find that out for themselves. I'm not going to do that. But anyway, it's. I, I thought it was all right. I mean, it got yeah. 73%. That's about right, I guess, for this. I just, it's all right. It was it's okay. A, it's a workable version not, of Monopoly. It wasn't crap. Yeah, yeah it is. Yeah. It's just more fun to play it for real, I suppose. Yeah. And also, just as a final aside, I'll put a link to it in the show notes. Someone did a big mathematical analysis of it and proved mathematically what was the best strategy for the game and all that. <laughs> yeah, I remember you gave that to me. I read it. I was like, ah! Way more, way more time on the hands than I've got. But interesting, all the same. Interesting. There we go. You know, the latest version of that, by the way, features credit cards. What, Monopoly? Yeah. The latest, the, latest, the brand new versions of it. You get a credit card and you just beeps like a credit machine. I'm surprised there's not a Bitcoin version. Oh, don't. You've said it out loud now. (laughs) Someone just went, Bitcoin version of Monopoly. Or all the the tiles around the edges are NFTs. Oh, God. Don't. I don't even want to think about that. That'd be horrendous. (laughs) It would be terrible. As soon as you buy the game, it'd be worthless and taken off you. (laughs) It would be. You'd be be hung up in court. Anyway, there we go. That's part one. There's a lot of games there. We've been talking for a while. We've still got loads to cover. So we're going to go away, take a quick break. You listen to this advert or whatever. And we will be back after that where we've got albums and singles for July 1988. So see you in a bit. The novel Escape from the Commodore 64 by David Hearn is out now. Growing up in the 80s is a chore for Sarah, who feels misunderstood by her parents and badgered by Reese, her bothersome brother who incessantly prattles on about his treasured computer games. When Reese tells her one of the games tried to pull him inside the computer, she laughs off his fanciful fib. She waggles the joystick to disprove his fairy tale and is pulled into the computer. Now trapped in games she'd never had any interest in playing, how can she possibly beat them? With the help of Feisty Nell, another trapped player, can Sarah find her way back home or is it game over? 
An evil madman, a hostile planet, bloodthirsty robots, a never-ending throng of karate experts, and relentless digital soldiers will do their best to ensure Sarah never escapes. Available from Amazon and all good online retailers, find out if there's a way out of the beige bread bin of betrayal for Sarah in Escape from the Commodore 64. And we are back. Uh, music, July 1988. A lot going on. We've got singles and albums, so let's waste no time and let's get straight into them. Number one, singles. First four weeks of the month, because again, this is a five-week month. Graham, nothing's going to change my love for you. Uh, Glenn Medeiros cake. By, by good old Glenn Medeiros cake. His hair was like a cake. It was, yeah. <laughs> Something will change. If he keeps men on and on, it's going to be a lump hammer to his forehead. <laughs> That's a bit harsh. He's just a, yes. you know, he's a, just a guy with a lot of feeling to express. He is. Well, he's made of cake. That's what happens. <laughs> you got to smash the cake. <laughs> smash the cake. Don't smash the cake. <laughs> do, 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 do. Um, for the final final week, things took on a more upbeat did. feeling, and the only way was up, or is up, by Yaz and the Plastic Population. That's that noise, isn't it? Isn't it? <laughs> classic housey sounds honestly the opening intro is pure classic house sounds it's got a it's one of them sort of acidy sounds anyway yep always a winner track is very optimistic isn't it it's like if you listen to that inside a lift it will just make it lift and rise without even the power of the motors no it just goes forever it's like balloons it's like Willy Wonkers if you get some of those balloons like and just put it in the room and then play that music they inflate <laughs> nobody knows how or why it just happens absolutely play it out in your garden on an overcast day and your uh, your solar panel lights come on <laughs> it is it's very uplifting there's <laughs> enough energy there to power it's this energy crisis we just need to all play this wasn't she full of beans yes my god I mean she's an amazing thing but she was like absolutely like hypertronic yes she was uh, yeah she sang doc- in Doctor in the House didn't she Doctor in that was, that was Yaz yeah she was she's a model and everything wasn't she well she was a member of the plastic population of course she was yeah she was but um, yeah she was very very bouncy but she was very tall wasn't she you could tell she was a model yeah. she, had that, she had yeah. a really really unique look yeah, absolutely. No, very much so. Yeah, very striking. Yeah. Yeah. And also as well, when she had this, she'd, she'd I mean, not to say that you can't be done, but she'd had a kid as well and like, bloody hell. Yes, yes. She uh, she was very striking indeed. Yeah, she was. Um, so there you go. She was yeah. very, very, very optimistic. The only way was up. The only way was up. The trouble is, whenever she went to her top of a tall building, she could never get down. She's still there. <laughs> Well, she's so tall, she just takes one step off and she's at the floor. She's like uh, someone in the sort of uh, <laughs> the Beatles, you know, Yellow Submarine, that guy with the really long legs. You know, I bet she's so sick of people cracking the only way he's up jokes. She's like, she's probably borderline, so, you know, mental with it. The only way he's up, Yaz, isn't it? <laughs> she's like, I'm going to kill you. She's just, her eye, uh, just her eye twitches. <laughs> I'm going to bleed you and leave you here. You got that. <laughs> Ironically, I'm going to hang you down. Anyway. <laughs> anyway, number one albums. First two weeks, Tracy Chapman was still there with yeah. Tracy Chapman. They've got a fast car. They've got a fast car. And finally, oh well, and uh, for the rest of the month, now that's what I call music 12. Yes. It's the top 40 made flesh. <laughs> <laughs> it is. <laughs> you made the album. We listened to it. <laughs> we came. <laughs> but yes, um, there you go. Yeah. yeah um, there we less go. said about that, the better. Just yeah. if you need to know what's on it, just look out, listen to the past few episodes of the, you know, this, the singles parts and the album parts of the podcast for the last 
month. They'll be all on it, yeah. A few months, yeah, two, three months. Yeah, so singles, 3rd of July. In at number 23 was I don't want to talk about it. By Everything but the girl. Yeah, it's their version, isn't it? Cover of a cover of a cover of a cover. Yeah, Even Rod Stewart had a go at that. I didn't want to listen to it. um, Listen to it. But I did listen to it, and this is pure maudlin um, (laughs) that the song Placebo never released. (laughs) (laughs) Pure maudlin. Yeah, yeah, isn't it? Yeah. A friend Pure in more. need is a friend indeed. <laughs> um, it's it's an okay cover of that. It's just boring song. I don't know why people cover yeah. this. No, I boring. Don't. boring, boring. In at number thirty-four, "Foolish Beat" by Debbie Gibson. No, not for me that. <laughs> no, I've written never invite a beat like this into your house. It renders you powerless. Yeah, I, did you listen Foolish. to it? No, no, I didn't. It's the, I don't really know much about Debbie Gibson, and I don't want to. I don't. It's not my. You know, I'm not her demographic. Not now, anyway. Yeah. <laughs> Number forty nine is "Beating the Heat" by Jack and Chill. Uh, those words make no sense. <laughs> it makes no sense to me. It's "Beating the Heat" by Jack and Chill. It's like, is it cold or hot? Is it, is it beating the heat or is it beat in the heat? I, I think it's know. beating the heat. Beating the heat because it's because it's July, isn't it? You got to beat the heat. Jack and Chill, they did a lot of housey tracks, didn't they? This one is a real collection of random noises that, you know, ham- the question is how many house samples and random noises can you actually throw into a single track? And then they thought, let's find out. Uh, yeah, and it made me angry in about 30 seconds. <laughs> it would do. The video looked like the Amiga demo state of the art, though. A lot like it. Did. It did. It did, very much so. But I was going to say, the Amiga demo looked a bit like that video. Yeah, but this song, it sounded like those stupid things we used to do on the Amiga with samples from It Came From The yeah. Desert. Well, it, Only someone exactly thought that. to release it. <laughs> Yeah, and make money off it, yeah. Yeah, maybe we should have done that. We were so... That, a lot of... House started to split at this point between the actual good house tracks that were in clubs and the chart versions of house, which was the... Do it now, uh, do it now. Uh, ding, 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 ding. <laughs> we play piano on a Wednesday. Ding, 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 ding. It's just awful. That's what it's like. It's lots and lots of that. Yeah. With a sort of a beat in the background. And it apparently will clear go. Eggs. I like eggs. I like eggs. It's like, what you the fuck is going on? You've listened to far too much of this rubbish. <laughs> I advise anyone. In fact, what I might do is I might just create a few little sample tracks and you can mix them yourself. Wouldn't be too Absolutely. difficult. Absolutely. Zap to the past, beat in the heat. <laughs> beat in the heat mix. It would be called Zap and Past. <laughs> there you go. Number 55, I'm Too Scared, I Am After That, by Stephen Dante. At what? What's he scared of? Did he watch it? I did. Video? There's a bit at 30 odd seconds where he does this dance and he thrusts himself forward that I had to pause and laugh out loud at quite for quite a while. Um, I mean, I mean, first, my first thought was, who are you? <laughs> Stephen Dante. You never heard him? I was like, no. I was like, <laughs> no who are had. you? And I, th- and I thought, is this, this music must be created by the R&B AI machine of the time. Like we need something that sounds like this. And they just pressed the button. It went, and this track just popped out. And here it is. It yeah. sounded like a wet, wet, wet track. None of those things are good things. No, I thought None it sounded them. like sawdust R&B. Yeah, yeah, totally that. If you imagine no, no, that description so accurate, in your head, you'll be hearing what it sounds like right now. And that's not the first time that's going to happen either. No, it's not. And at number 58 is Don't Say It's Love by Johnny Hates Jazz. <laughs> No, I just say it's crap and boring. Yes, the uh, MOR police need calling for that. Yeah, call them in. Yeah. Get them in. I mean, yeah, I've just, this song might as well be a white stripe along. That's it with, <laughs> with breaks in it. 
Yes, absolutely. It's awful. And the video is that horrible black and white thing in it. Oh, uh, terrible. Awful. And that's terrible. Not, that's not the first of this blandness. Will. There's a lot of blandness. No, this month. There's, there is so much. It was, it was crazy. A bland summer. Crazy. In at number 65 is Nice and Slow by Freddie Jackson. Yeah, sounds like every other Arab beat track from the 80s. <laughs> yeah, it does. Sounds like the one that we listened to a minute ago. Yep. Uh, in at number 75 <laughs> is All That Money Wants by the Psychedelic Furs, uh, mm. which sounds like every other Psychedelic Furs track I'd ever heard. Yeah, can't argue with that. <sighs> Just his voice. Oh, 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 oh. <laughs> I suppose it's good, because if they sounded not like the Psychedelic Furs, there'd be something else. Yeah, it would. I mean, but it is, but it's like... There, you, if you listen to enough psychedelic furs, it's like, did did you do anything else at any other tempo? No, they don't. No, they don't. I don't know a lot about them other than you know. I've listened to a fair bit of them recently, and it all it all starts to merge into one noise. Well, it's exactly, it, bl- it blends into a blended fur. <laughs> Is that, a, is that a Photoshop tool? <laughs> the blended fur. Yeah, that, or, or a weird restaurant slash pub, bistro pub. <laughs> oh, the blended fur. That'll be out in the sticks somewhere. Uh, well, yeah. At 10th, of, uh, 10th of July, in at number 14, is Dirty Diana by Michael Jackson. He's in good old Dib Dib. He's back, isn't he? Full, he's he's yeah. on full Dib Dib form in that. Full of Dib Dib and Hee Hee, that one. <laughs> Massive heen of the dibs. It's, it's massive. It has to be said, the uh, guitarist in the video, the I forget the name now, the, the, the female guitarist he had, is incredibly good. Yeah, she is. Uh, yeah, she's really very good. good. But yeah. he sort of sings this song with that It's just a bit jolty. I'm like, oh, God. He's, yeah, well, he's like trying to sing, but someone's just hitting him with a taser between every word. He's, like, oh, he's got Norman Collier syndrome. <laughs> And if you you read the lyrics, which are on the the video version there, if you choose to switch them on, I don't believe that any of that really applied to anything Michael Jackson got involved with. No, probably not. No, I don't believe it anyway. Uh, At number 19 is Monkey by George Michael. Oh, this track. Bloody hell. Uh, uh, It's in lyrics. It says, watch out, look down. I think he said, watch out, look down. There's a monkey on your back. Yeah. Yeah. Well, why are you looking down? I don't know. Is that your back? So much, there was so much kick drum tapping, it drove me mad. Yeah, it was real. It was over funky for me. It was way too funky. So, dad, do monkey I was like, oh god. Funny enough, you'd written there. This is far too funky for me. Ironically, that's a track by George Michael. Too funky for me. Came out later. Ah, there you go. Well, this was just far too, too funky. funky for me. A tippy yeah. tapper tapper boom boom. It's just too much. <laughs> too much. <laughs> too much uh, tapper tapper. Slowing things down a bit. And number twenty is "Love Bites" by yeah. Def Leppard. Yeah, it's a good track. Well done. Well done. I say it's not. Yeah, a bad bravo. One, it is. It is. Bravo. Well done. It's got. A, it's got a proper uh, reaching chorus. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> it's got a very Def Leppardy chorus, but of yeah. course, which it, why would it be anything else? It'd be weird if it just broke into some kind of polka, wouldn't it? Halfway through, so no, it's, 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 <laughs> it is a really them. good track by them. True, yeah, and it's also got it does have those weird samples towards the end, though, for no yeah, reason. I told you, it's got the curse of the leopard, but it's, yeah, we uh, can't, we don't know what to do with the end of the song, so we just put something odd in there. Exactly. Although the curse of the leopard sounds makes it sound way more exciting than it actually is. That <laughs> sounds like a the curse of the leopard sounds like a, a 1940s exploitation. <laughs> film or, the, or one of their albums <laughs> the curse no they'd never call anything that one the curse that, of the that, leopard that, is true. that good the curse of the white leopard is true <laughs> <laughs> uh, in at number 51 is a wish away by the wonder stuff you missed one out there uh did i oh sorry yes uh sorry in number 38 is uh you came by kim wilde <laughs> suggestive that 
And it is very suggestive. We're pretty Ooh, woman. Adrian, you came. <laughs> no, just got excited. Kim Wilde, very pretty, wasn't she, in that, though? This is a, you know, I, I recognise this, and then as soon as it started, I went, oh, yeah, I do know this. Yeah, I think, was it Stock Aker and Waltman produced by any chance? Because it just sounded yeah. a lot like it, yeah. You came But the video was good. It reminded me of how pretty Kim Wilde was back then. Yes, yes, very. Sorry, and now the number 51 is A Wish Away by The Wonder Stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Did we hear them back in that episode 84? We did. Must have done. So, yes, yeah. we did. Uh, they don't smell of coconut. They smell of patchouli. I think you'll find. Yes, because I just assume that they smell of coconut. But you're right. It'll be patchouli, correct? Yeah. I, I don't. I watched the video and I didn't like it. No, I really. My problem was I didn't just didn't like Miles Hunt. Unfortunate rhyming name aside, <laughs> um, and this video confirms it. It's just, something, just about something about him. About him. Yeah, could it's it just, be his name? No, no, I was just, I just found him as like, was, I don't know, weird. Um, we'll talk about it more in a bit when we get into another band. Not my cup of tea anyway, the Wonder Stuff at all, so. No, uh, some of their all. songs are all right. I, I quite like some of the stuff, but not this one. Is it, did they do Dizzy? Is that one of theirs? They did do Dizzy, yes. Yes, yeah, with no. Dirk Reeves. Yeah. Yeah. Size of the cow and stuff like that. Size of a cow. Oh, yeah, yeah I know. Yeah. Uh, in at number 61 is A Perfect World by Huey Lewis and the News. Yes, um, apparently, according to the text, this song is an optimistic commentary on the human being's hopes and dreams, as well as our private thoughts. The song tells the person to keep on dreaming because there will never be a perfect world. The song admits that life isn't perfect, but tells the listener to use the power of positive dreaming to cope with the reality. The B-side to the single was an instrumental album track titled Project Makes Me Wants to Kill Small Animals and Other Things. Make of that That's what you a- want. That's a that's a psychiatrist. That psychiatrist is gonna he's gonna put his kid through college for that guy. Yes, Huey Lewis was obviously a troubled man. Troubled yeah, man indeed. Clearly is. And at number sixty-seven, Chocolate Girl by Deacon Blue. Smug, smug, smug. <laughs> Their favourite character in uh, in The Hobbit is Smaug, <laughs> but without the A. Yes. Oh, that that dragon, smug. Yeah, you would. You would, wouldn't you? Deacon Blue. Yeah. Uh, number 88 is Fat by Weird Al Yankovic. Trouble in a little nowadays, that, isn't it? Yeah. Really, get away with it now. I don't, think, I don't yeah. think it's stuck. stuck yeah. Yeah, fat shaming people in a song is not fun. Not funny now. No. Not nice. Uh, 17th of July, number 20 is Superfly Guy. Make it higher. I love by that S-Express. track. I love, love that track. I like this song as well. And it does show that if you make these songs well, even I like yes. them. Yes, <laughs> yes. Exactly. That's how you make a house track. You know, blending the yeah. right things. Get some 70s beats and mix them with some just some gentler sounds and put a really nice vocal on it. Good house track. Hit randomize on the noise generation system <laughs> and you've got Jack and Chill. Not yeah, good. No. Superfly Guy is in such a great track by uh, S-Express. It really is brilliant. Yeah, it's good. Yeah, it's good. Sorry, in at number 28, this is where they came in. In at number 28, Anyways Up by Yaz and the Plastic oh, yeah, Population. Said. Yep. Anyways Up, unless right. you're at the top of a mountain. I, I guess. Yeah. I, yeah. I guess. Yeah, I mean, you could you could go further up, I suppose. I don't know where you'd go from there, but... Well, you could get in a rocket. Yes, yes. I mean, how far extreme. do you have to go before you can't, you know, actually going up any further? Well, yeah, that's, that, is, that is such a brilliant question. W- at what point are you not going up now? Well, it's like the old riddle. How far could you run into a forest? Yes, before you're not running in, you're running out. Yes, yeah, it's halfway, yeah. yes. There we go. <laughs> Number 29, uh, Glam Slam by Prince. Yeah, not a classic track from the old Citadel miniature pop star, that. No, this sounds like something that should have stayed in the studio. It sounds like a warm-up track. Yeah, and the video really is just stage footage from one of the tours where they're wearing very fancy outfits or very, very little fancy. at all. Yes, fancy. absolutely. Fancy um, lady. But he did have his, he did have blinds on, so he couldn't see any of it. Yes, yes, he did. Because they, they had to do that with him sort of thing. He's like a horse. Once he sees something, <laughs> he just runs for it. 
So they had, they had to blind him on stage. Well, then when they fed him, they just put a bag over each ear. <laughs> <laughs> like, like a loop over each ear and just put it over his mouth. And he, and he just, just chomped his way through it. Om, nom, nom, nom. Prince is eating. Om, nom, nom, nom. <laughs> don't go in there. For God's sake, don't go in that room. <laughs> so he's had his hands free because he was constantly making music. He had to constantly he be was. playing something. The only way they could feed him was to like give him a bag over his head. Exactly. That's how he learned the saxophone while he was uh, <laughs> having his hay. <laughs> Someone dropped one in by accident and you started playing it. Oh, God, it'll be noodling in that all afternoon, you idiots. <laughs> Absolutely. What have you done? Oh, you've given him a recorder. Oh, no. But he's got his bag over his mouth. How did he learn to play it? Never ask that question again and sterilise that goddamn recorder. <laughs> Do it quickly. It's <laughs> clogged with something. No, let's never speak of what that is. Just it get looks the, like For Christ's sake. It's not hay. <laughs> have you got any Milton? <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Milton fluid. It's the sterilizing fluid. Oh right. Okay. Yeah. You've just never you've you've never been sterilized with Milton fluid. Have you? Uh, I just thought it was some kind of very odd um, cheese reference. I thought it was I, th- I, th- I, thought, no, I thought it was like a reference to Stilton or something. I thought it was a weird Cockney st- rhyming I was, slam. I would have I would have said slang. that. How, how would that be Cockney rhyming slang? Milton what, for cheese. Milton for Stilton. Well, that's not how Cockney rhyming slang works. Give me some old Milton, love. <laughs> That's not how it works, half though, is it? Of, half a pound of Stilton. <laughs> Thanks for the Milton. <laughs> you never been to London? You know that's how they talk. I have been to London as well, and the pearly kings and queens that I associated with would have been spinning in their pearls. <laughs> that's because you didn't ask for Milton. They'd have been like, oh, he knows his staff. I went for a um, Brad Pitt, though. I'll tell you that. <laughs> nice, nice. Um, number 36, reach out, and I'll be there, 1988. <laughs> By the yeah, four re-release. tops. Yeah, yeah re-release. Uh, number Darling, 30. reach out. Not for your Brad Pitt. Number 38, no. what can I say to make you love me? Alexander O'Neill. Want a O'Neil. Jaffa cake? Want a Jaffa cake? <laughs> you uh, can you, have the Milton. You can have the cheese. Yeah, you can have the Milton. I've got some more eggs. The list of the things you can say is quite endless, really, if you think about it. <laughs> what, to make you, make, you, make you love Alexander O'Neill? Yeah, what can I say to make you love me? Yeah, want a Jaffa cake? Do you like cheese? Would you like a tin of beans? I don't know why. I think I need to go shopping, food shopping. I think. <laughs> I think you might do. But anyway, that kind of thing. Not a very, not a very good track. Very R and B, of course. Very. However, number thirty nine is "Feel the Need in Me" by Chicken Stevens. <sighs> no, I don't want to need anything to do with him. No, this video, man. This video. Something went wrong. <laughs> <laughs> Badly wrong with that. The whole thing went wrong. Yeah. <laughs> and what did you make of it? Well, I, I was I, I was nonplussed at the amount. How many t-shirts does he need? There's a lot Every shot is changing changing his t-shirt, and there's a noise he makes at one minute six seconds, um, which I've <laughs> noted. It's like he's just got some, oh, for, no, yes. for, no, oh, for no reason. It's like the what's whole, that? The whole thing's weird. I mean, it's an attempt at a Motown like vibe, I guess, because that kind of song, but it fails badly in the video. I mean, his hairstyle is erratic anyway, but in this one. It's like his wig became some kind of unstable mass that just <laughs> morphed and changed. Like it's like some kind of unstable matter. I think he was getting a bit sweaty around all the women. Yeah, well, he was he was, you know, lots of young women. And he must have been what in his forties or fifties at this point, trying to, you know, jeans it out with the t shirt and that. And no yeah, wonder he true. was probably sweating so much that he needed to change a t-shirt every two minutes he's shaking stevens the ever living isn't he like, yeah well he was he was, he was probably shaking that much so much sweat was coming off him it was like being caught in a bloody tsunami like oh god it's shaking stevens sweat <laughs> like gravy it won't wash off it's horrible <laughs> it's like being sprayed with pva glue it feels like i'm covered in milton <laughs> to throw my glasses away <laughs> <laughs> they want a good song neither no it was crap 
there's that really long middle sequence as well where it's some kind of <laughs> instrumental break and they, they just focus on the women dancing for ages but every now and again it'll cut to him going and sweat, sweating yeah <laughs> sweating, sweating like, he, like he works in a chip shop kind of sweating isn't it he does Greasy look like sweating. a person you would see in a chippy working in a chippy yes, in the 1980s he does, he does actually I know lots of people like him the strange thing is, I think they're trying to contextualize him because you know this is a far cry from you know the old do, you know shaking Stevens rock and roller image. This is trying to move him, you know, move him into sort of an R and B, you know, late eighties vibe, and it doesn't work. It is, you know, it's not just a fish out of water. You know, that's that's not good, is it? It's it's, it's no, bad. It's very bad. It doesn't work. You know, so that's, Hank Marvin gave it up, shaky, and so should you. He, did, he yeah. didn't try and do that. We, there's only what there's only space in this world for one Cliff Richard. So they should have merged enough. Hank Marvin and Shaky Stevens together. Just had Hank Shaky, <laughs> Shaky Marvin. <laughs> that sounds like a dance. Do the Shaky Marvin uh, uh, and get the freshness uh, uh, back. <laughs> Do the Shaky <laughs> Marvin. Put the... <laughs> Why does he keep walking around in a square? He's got to throw about nine of these t-shirts. Shaky Marvin. His sweat smells like ass. Bloody pear drops. There's something wrong with him. <laughs> He's pure. He's made of sweat. <laughs> if you add a bit of salt to him, he just just disappears. It was better than the next song. That's saying a lot. That's true. Number forty-one. How she threw it all away. The Style Council. Yeah, I think they're just referring to all their albums. That when someone realised that it's just a load of angry sixth form infused political bollocks, they would have indeed <laughs> thrown them all away. True. Uh, and at number fifty-three is "I'm Sorry" by the Hot House Flowers. Yeah. Um, and so they should be. Is all I've noted. Yeah. Too smug. Um, too smug. Self-indulgent ass. You're right. Uh, however, in at number 74 is Defcon 1 by Pop Will Eat Itself. Mm. Great tune. This I really like this song. It's all um, right. I have, a, I have a bit of a penchant for Pop Will Eat Itself. I like a lot of their stuff, but this is a nice catchy sort of thing. And it's, as I have noted, yes, it is. With this in the wonder stuff, Grebo is here. Dogs on strings Grebo. and long green coats. <laughs> it's not the official name for that, is it? Yeah, this is a Grebo or Grebo Rock was a short-lived subgenre of alternative rock that incorporated influences from punk rock, electronic dance music, hip hop, and psychedelia. Uh-huh. Scene occupied the period in the late '80s and early '90s in the United Kingdom before the popularization of Britpop and grunge. Ooh. The genre and its attributes were largely absorbed into industrial rock, which would emerge after the subgenre's demise in the late '80s, which then led to the development of industrial metal in the '90s. Ooh. Yeah, there is that bit of that vibe, and especially in later pop elite itself. Why yeah. don't they just merge? Britpop and grunge to be grit pop. That sounds like it would have been better. <laughs> Brunge. It's better, it's better than Grebo. Well, Grebo, I mean, Grebo predates all those sort of things. It's just what it is. It's just, uh, yeah, hair's, haircuts that need to wash. Like the styles were that kind of thing, dreadlocks. Yeah, I remember it. I remember it. All that sort of stuff. There was Ned's Atomic Dustbin, Wonder Stuff, Popley itself, quite a few bands around. Did we know? Did, sort of you, did you know any Grebos in this ilk? Did I know uh, any Grebos? I don't I, remember I, knowing I, a Grebo. I've known a few in my time. Um, I knew a few people who were into the Wonder Stuff and stuff, and I know people who were into Pop Will Eat itself, but not thinking, but I did, there was a guy at, um, I can't remember his name, but when I went to college, Gary might know him, when we went to college. Was he a, was was he a, a Venn diagram person, was he, right in the middle of those two? Yeah, even wore the long green coat. His name was Venn diagram. <laughs> it, it won't, but... <laughs> An ironic twist. <laughs> Bobby Venn. <laughs> he loved drawing, but only, but only two circles, slightly yes, overlapping. Yeah. Yeah, his, his his moods were neither here nor there. They were either somewhere in the middle. <laughs> always, always, <laughs> always. But yeah, I do like this song though. Popley itself, Defcon One. Yeah, it won't bad, song. I suppose. I'm not. I'm not I much prefer the pop, later Popley itself stuff than the early stuff. So yeah, number seventy five, Hey Manhattan by Prefab Sprout. <sighs> no, yeah, no. <laughs> this and Hot House Flowers in one week. Lord, why have you forsaken us? Yeah, just did you listen to the intro for it? Just, just like. 
if someone I told did. you the formula for a middle of the road guff, you'd go, that sounds like prefab sprout. And you'd be right. It was, it was exactly right. <laughs> yeah, it would be exactly right. Mm. Uh, yeah. Uh, and at number 81, it's Good Tradition by Tanita Tikaram. Tikaram. Uh. You don't like this, dear. I really like no, this song. A name sounds like a weird spell or incantation or a sore throat lozenge. Which is fair enough. It's a good tune, though. More happy than these usually are from this kind of singer. It's a good tradition. You're insane, Davros. I said, I noted with this one, it's just a girl with a guitar playing away. It shows that a young woman with a guitar can sing and say consonants instead of the just vowel sounds we get these days. Because at least you can understand a few things she's saying. And her voice... Um, watching it, her voice is w- well older than the way she looked. Yeah, well, she's kind of dressed old. She's in a Laura Ashley skirt, for Christ's sake. Just kill it with fire now. <laughs> I have no problem to watch you say. I think I just think this is a really nice little tune. I have a bit of a fondness for... There is no... Yes, tune aside, there is no place for anyone who dances like that with a guitar. Not in my lifetime. Not on my watch. She's happy. Leave her alone. Off a cliff you go. Get in the sea. Get Man. in the damn sea. <laughs> You're far too angry. Well, she needs, you know, she, I'm still recovering from the twist in my sobriety that she gave me, so. Yeah, that's the next one, isn't it? That's a good song as well. I mean, no, I liked not. it so much, I bought the album. It's you been Davrost. <laughs> I did back then. <laughs> I liked to need to tick around. You've good been album sat, that was. Sat, You've been sat in a chair going, ah, for too long. <laughs> uh, <laughs> maybe anyway. I had at that point. Uh, I just liked it, whatever. 24th of July, it was better than this, that's for sure. Uh, in at number 30 weird. is Peekaboo by the Susie and the Banshees. What a strange thing that is. Just, I couldn't, I mean, it wasn't what I expected. And I, I kind of, what I kind of dig this weirdness. <laughs> I don't think you could ever know. be expecting this if you've never heard well, it Well, no. And based on my limited, albeit acknowledged, limited experience of any Susie and the Banshees, I, I assume that they were kind of a punk, post-punk band. And the stuff I've heard would, yeah, would have fitted goth, into gothy that. Yeah, post-punk. Yeah, yeah. yeah. This thing, I oh, think, gothy what, punk, on, really. what on earth happened? Was she tricked into making that or something? Don't I mean, so. I, I quite liked its weirdness, but it's really, really, really weird. Yeah, right, goth. Um, very strange. Yeah, it is. I won't even say it was goth. It felt poppy, and it was very strange. It's really hard. Even the song itself was weird. But of course, the, Susie is enjoying a bit of a renaissance at the moment, thanks to uh, the TV show Wednesday off Netflix and the dance that's um, plagued the internet for the le- for from then until probably the next twenty years. Oh right, I didn't know. I've, wa- I've watched Wednesday. I didn't notice that bit. How could you not see the dance in Wednesday, the bit where Wednesday dances? Um, I wasn't really enjoying it. Well, yes, but that, unfortunately, that bit has become a TikTok thing. I've seen something, but I was like... And as we know, TikTok and, and YouTube have now got YouTube shorts, which is TikTok light. So you can't escape it no matter where you go. I just, when those kind of bits come on in TV shows where those bits happen, I just kind of tune out a little bit and start thinking of other stuff. Yeah, good, because you can't escape it. As soon as you go on YouTube now, there's a YouTube short. The first one you'll see will be someone going, I'm going to do my version of the dance. Let's dance, dance, dance in my pants, 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 or whatever dance it is. I don't think that's even the song that's in the bloody TV show, is it? <laughs> I couldn't stupid, tell you. I have no idea. Stupid. The woman that plays Wednesday said that she'd, Watched a lot of Susie and the Banshees and goth dancing for inspiration. I doubt that because I did not see one or two crumbles in there. And I've been around goths no and crumble, they crumble no a lot. Exactly. Which is how, uh, <laughs> which is what thing he said in it. Bob Marley's. No, yeah, no crumble, no goth. And that's the goth Bob Marley. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no crumble, no goth. Do, 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 do. When you're picking a coin up off the floor. <laughs> no crumble, no goth. <laughs> I'm going to be humming that for weeks now, <laughs> thanks to you. Yeah, there you Thank go. Very much. You're welcome. Number 32 is Find My Love by Fairground Attraction. No. 
As soon as it started, I wanted to smash that guitar over his stupid head. It sounded like a crap Harry Belafonte track. No. Yeah. Oh, no. This wasn't very good, was it? Um, no, it was not. Number 35 is Hustle to the Music, Funky Worm. <laughs> More words that make no sense to me. Yes. It's another housey track, isn't it? Where they, where they clearly made the video first and then decided to call it Funky Worm. Um, I don't know lots what of, I was listening These videos to. are lots of library footage. It's another one of those house tracks that I described earlier where it's got you know thousands and thousands yes, of samples yeah, in it for no reason. I'm not going to do a version of it. But this one actually looked and sounded like an Amiga demo as opposed to it, you know, sort of, it was not very it good. Did, yeah. And in at number 36, Martha's Harbour by All About Eve. This must be about their seventh single off this album, isn't it? We've seen them loads. Easily their biggest hit though, isn't it? By Miles, this one. It is, yes. I mean, this is the one that people do know them for, yeah. Uh, and as you've well noted, it's the uh, the classic Top of the Pops. where it they went a bit were, wrong. When it, yeah, they, they, they didn't have it playing through the monitors in the studio, so they just sat there while it was playing. Yeah, a bit weird. Mm. But it, in all fairness, they became famous for that, but it is an amazing track by them. By my, You know, when you hear it, the live version, it's astonishing for that. It is very, very good because their voice is just exactly the same. Yeah. It's, it's an amazing yeah. voice. Um, it and it is, it's just a lovely, lovely track, that one. Really nice. Really nice it is song. very good. Very good. In at number 43 is The Harder I Try by Brother Beyond. Oh, this. Did you watch the video? I did. <laughs> good looking, albeit admitted the good looking male automaton mannequins given life and then a song to do. They're powered by gravy for sure. <laughs> yeah. Uh, could, uh, could you imagine if these are the best Connell Cochran could come up with? I did actually know, <laughs> but the, uh, the lead, to me, the lead singer looked like a character from Goldeneye on the N64. He did. He had that kind of head, didn't he? Yeah, he, he, had, like, he, he had that he was, head. He was a low poly human. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's what he was. He's just like he with, with one single. He's gone mm. to the doctor. He's like, I'm afraid to say what you're suffering from is low poly. <laughs> Low polyism. Your head is just not made of enough polygons. Absolutely. So you've only got to, to 14, have resolution. You've only got 14 <laughs> triangles around the entirety of your head. You're always going to look slightly shocked and you're never going to be able to raise an eyebrow. Absolutely. <laughs> please give please give generously for those please afflicted with low polyism. <laughs> they can't wear hats. They can't wear hats. I'm going to say I'm starting to go fund me. <laughs> they have trouble wearing hats or finding glasses to fit them and stay on because their ears are part of their side of their heads and flat. Yeah, they just fall off. <laughs> oh, oh. <laughs> Low poly is them. <laughs> In at number 81 is as the rhyme goes on. Wait. <laughs> By Eric B and Rakeem. <laughs> uh, it's a, it's a, it, that is actually a pretty good track, albeit more classic rap than more angry rap. This is the best way I can describe it. Gary, you need Gary around to discuss things like that, but he's not here. P- no. Podcast friend Gary, you know, he's we've yeah. trapped him in a cupboard for a while. We're never going to talk about why or when we're going to let him out. We'll just trap him for a bit. Every now and again, we have to, don't we? There were we smells involved and there were also secretions. None of them well, were Well, it's like E.T. You have to lay like a little trail of Skittles <laughs> to get him into the cupboard and then you just shut the door and he's okay for a while. Don't worry about it. We'll look after him. He just needs to be in there for a bit. It's best for everyone that we don't ever talk about it again. <laughs> it is, yeah, that's true. God, you've written a lot here. Number 82. You have to read all that. I know, I'm not going to. Don't Be Cruel by Bobby Brown. And it's exactly what I thought you've written here. Ironic in every single way. 
Yeah, and I just listed his rap sheet of all 17 pages of it just to <sighs> prove that he's not, you know, Don't Be Cruel is such an ironic label for him and that song's awful anyway, so no. Yeah, no, I'm not giving him space of time sort of thing. I mean, he's, what happened with Whitney Houston and stuff, isn't it? It's like, yeah, awful. Awful. Yeah, and he's in, so. you know, in and out of, you know, all sorts of troubles. <sighs> 31st of July, uh, in, straight in at number two, I'm assuming we'll see this next month, The Loco Motion by Kylie Minogue. Saw make song. Mm-hmm. Saw make song good. <laughs> well, yeah, it's not their song, is it? It's, it's not cover, their song, so yeah, yeah it's not totally. cover. In at number forty was "Rock My World" by Five Star. <laughs> this was weird. It wasn't it odd. It was off. Something was off with this. Someone was, yeah. It's like they'd run out of budget. <laughs> yeah, it was. Uh, it was a bad advert for Melton Ross Quarry. <laughs> yeah. um, it felt like uh, watching a gang of Jackson impersonators in a quarry. It was yeah, yeah. very Doctor Who. And when I first saw her walking towards it, I was like, is she auditioning for the next Mad Max film? Yeah, completely. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and that the bit when they're on top of the mound or whatever, there's that crappy blue oh, uh, freeze frame blue screening going on. Just bad. I mean, did you see the, the waist on the first, the main woman singer? I mean, goodness me, a waist was so thin. Yeah. It's like it's like she'd, they'd packed her entire body into a bloody toilet mm-hmm. roll tube. It's just crazy. I mean, yeah. they're an amazing looking group and, you know, they sound great but they just sounded to me like janet jackson times five yeah they're not so, well they, they were never my cup of tea five star but here they no. just look weird it's no, all weird well, I think it's all very gone strange way too far down the we want to be the jackson's route which is just stupid because they were all very talented but that's my yeah, take but, on it now. you can still go and see them they're still out there it's obviously what the uh, record company wanted wasn't it i guess yes yes exactly in at number 47 is working in a gold mine by aztec camera <laughs> yes this uh, song sounds accused of the gratuitous overuse of slap bass in a ballad <laughs> the sentence is death <laughs> yeah i got two lines in good lord a, yeah. a baby was killed on the overkill <laughs> in about two lines this is awful Absolutely. it's lots of goodness me bassist has been given too much control yeah calm down man calm down absolutely in at number 50 is when it's love by van halen it's a good track by van halen Uh, the intro feels really oddly heavy though you can't if you play it you can't pick up your 80s boombox or your walkman when it starts it goes like thor's hammer it glues (laughs) itself to whatever surface it's on and it's not classically hard rock either in the video the bassist is clearly wearing a mickey mouse vest which made me wonder at this point, Van Halen were somewhat losing their edginess. <laughs> no, yeah, that's they ever edgy. Well, just, you know, whatever edge they had, you're not going to gain any further edge by wearing Mickey Mouse tops. Or a, or a salmon suit that, yeah. um, that what's his face, Hagar was wearing. Well, this is, this is the, this is what a lot of Van Halen fans didn't like Sammy Hagar for because they brought this to Van Halen. So, well, it is what it is, but they also did some better songs in this period, I think. You know, well, your Van Halen purists, they're the ones that, you know, it's very they divisive. They make a this. lot of songs about love, though. Yes, they do. Well, it's not wrong with that. So, you know, it's a fine yeah, But whatever, it's just like, you know, this one's just when it's love. There's like, uh, well, I'm trying to blank now, but um, there's just every song I've seen seems Why to Why can't this hey, be love? When it's love, yeah. There's loads yeah, of them. Two. There's another one as well. Jump. <laughs> in love. <laughs> I didn't like the chorus in this. I didn't like the chorus back and forth. I thought it was a bit cheesy. It, it, well, that's what, that's the problem. That's the Sammy Hagar problem is that yeah. he brought the cheese. When they, they were going, so what is love? And he's like, it's when you do that, mama. Yeah, yeah, no. yeah. It is a bit like that. Um, I think it's a, it is good in places, but this is the you either like this version of Van Halen and these particular albums that they do here, or you don't. And that's why it's, that's why you know it's when even when you buy the best of CD, you've got two different CDs. You've got the one part of Van Halen with all of the David Lee Roth, and then you've got the second part with all of the Sammy Hagar. So they are 
literally split in two. Oh, wow. Mm. And there you go. Uh, in at number 52 is Feelings of Forever by Tiffany. Did you watch the video? The, the, we'll put the, all these videos I in did, the show I notes. did watch a bit of it, yeah. Yeah, she's good. Uh, her hand has been super glued to her head <laughs> in that. Yeah, I noticed that. She does a lot of the uh, shoulder head bob thing. Yes, she does she's, do she's, that. She's always doing that. Yeah, why is that? she got like a does pitch in her back she can't get. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, yeah, well, she's really cold and her back keeps going. <laughs> like, oh, oh, my back's uh, gone. Uh, yeah. <laughs> she, but, the, the noise she makes when she does it, they don't record, but it's like, hey, hey. It's more colliering. It's another yes, exactly. suffer from pure colliering. She's colliering. Pure col- col- yeah, colliering. Yeah, she's got cholera. Yeah, that's it. Let's get through these. Number 54, Gypsy Road by Cinderella. Fucking awful. <laughs> Sub skid rope poison. It's not it a good is. place to be. <laughs> Sub skid rope poison is bad. He sounds like he's channeling Brian Johnson from ACDC as well. Yeah, no one wants to channel that. Not even Brian Johnson. <laughs> you, you can't. If you if you channel that, it blows your brains out. Your head explodes. <laughs> it's just he's got such a sharp voice. It just cuts 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 everything to ribbons. It, it comes does. out. You, your throat is just lacerated. It is. If Awful. you you put any fruit in the vicinity of a radio playing ACDC, it just <laughs> fall into segments. That's how it works. <laughs> Are you ready to rock? Oh, my orange has gone into segments immediately. Yeah, I didn't even peel it. Including the bowl it was in. Oh, I just bought that. Johnson. <laughs> I'll get you, Johnson. And at number 71 is Rush Hour by Jane Wheedlin. Yeah, um, I actually really like this song. It's a great song. Yeah, I like this song as well. Yeah, very very underrated song from the eighties. This, yeah, so, uh, yeah, it's probably made it. It's made it into loads of TV shows, though. It's one of those songs. It's a bit like um, Lover Boy, isn't it? And Working for the Weekend. It's one of those songs that just appears in loads of the eighties movies and stuff. This is in there somewhere. Yeah, um, it's, great it's, track. Because a good song. And she uh, was she was uh, from the Go Go's, of course, as well, mm, along with Belinda Carlisle. Yes, yes. Number ninety five. Uh, she was also uh, played Joan of Arc in Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. Oh, is that her? Yes. Oh, I didn't know that. Makes sense now, yeah. Number 95, this is The Chorus by Morris Minor and the Majors. <laughs> I don't like them, but that did make me laugh, that video. Yeah, yeah, I thought so as well. That bit where they're doing the... I like the sort of nod at the beginning where the guy comes in with the tea, especially the yeah. Rick Astley, Rick yeah, Astley yeah, yeah. thingy. Oh, he just brought in the tea and they're just patting him away. It is um, funny. And also the the bit where they're actually doing the Rick Astley dancing. Yeah. <laughs> That one of them's got it down perfectly through that rolly arm. <laughs> it's it's it, honestly I, now I don't normally like that kind of stupid thing, and I didn't like the previous one, the stammer rap, whatever it was called, stutter, um, stutter rap. rap. But um, this one did have me laughing. It's and it's alarmingly accurate as well in terms of sound. So yeah, and obviously the banana rammer at the start, aren't they? And then yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, Stock Aker was so angry about that song. They carried on making music for the next thirty years. <laughs> Damn you, miners! Morris Miner and the Majors. I'll get you, I'll get you. <laughs> well, that's his singles. Let's get into some albums. 3rd of July, number 17 is Heavy Nova. Heavy Nova. It's an the album ninth title, studio it? album. By Robert nine. Palmer. Robert Palmer, I say. Ninth album. Nine. Nine. Nine, nine. Uh, the name Heavy Nova derives from Palmer's love of both heavy metal and bossa nova rhythms. Those two things I've written are not compatible. <laughs> that's not. like trying to fit a scart lead into a din socket. It should not be. God, that's a geeky joke. It is. <laughs> I'm proud of that. <laughs> <laughs> Only people our age know what a din socket is. Number 23 is Indigo. 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 Uh, by Matt Bianco. 
Lots yes. of goes, goes and goes. Too many go-cos, yeah. Not Indeed. Good. Third album. I didn't know that. I was confused here. I thought Matt Bianco was a person. No, that's the name of the band. Confusing, isn't it? That's why they didn't make it in the USA, because <laughs> everyone had the exact same thought. Is he a man or is he a band? Can't be both. He cannot be both. And he failed. Yeah. And I, I, I have no memories of Matt Bianco. Just, yeah, British pop, jazz, soul, dance. None of that. Exactly. Appeals to me. You put jazz in anything and I'm like walking away. I'm, I'm Lord Humongousin no. immediately. <laughs> exactly. It's not good, is it? That's like a wet sleeping blanket. Pointless yeah. and very frustrating and useless. Yeah, absolutely. And heavy and heavy to carry around. It's like walking out in a pair of trainers straight into a puddle and you know you've got the rest of the walk in wet socks. Yep. Horrible. Stupid, stupid thing. Horrible. No. Number 33 is Titan Up Volume, Titan Up Volume 88 mm. by Big Audio Dynamite. Not a fan of them particularly. Not they're not. I'm not. I'm not a fan. But I'm not a fan either. I know. If, I know someone who used to, when I was growing up. Something. Sort of I knew someone who was, who was into them. But they tried to get me into, it and I was like, Yeah, no, no. no I'm, I'm gonna. <laughs> I'm gonna say no on that one. I'm just. I'm just gonna go to your toilet. <laughs> Take a big. I'm, I'm going to take a big audio dynamite in your toilet. <laughs> <laughs> Number 78 is 20 Years of Jethro Tull by Jethro Tull. Uh, one year was enough. 20 years is a sentence handed down by a judge. <laughs> I know. I know people get less for murder. Yes, exactly. I sentence you to 20 years of Jethro Tull. Oh, God's sake. Oh, my God. Can I have the Phantom Zone instead? <laughs> <laughs> we, put, we sentence you to... Not the Tull. Not the Tull. Not the Tull anything but the Tull. <laughs> the Tull in the Phantom Zone. No. Uh, number 92 is Outside the Gate by mm. Killing Joke. Yeah, album number album. seven. Good Lord. Yeah. Seven. Yeah, it's a significant stylistic departure for the band with complex synthesized orchestra-influenced arrangements and less prominent the guitar. Due to poor sales, Virgin dropped the group two months <laughs> after the release of this album. And with good cars. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they were left outside the gate. <laughs> yes, unfortunately. I might say. Yeah, number 92, not great that. They've obviously gone on to do loads more albums, so another label clearly stepped in. Clearly. Yeah, more fool them. 10th of July, uh, in at number two, Kylie by Kylie Minogue. Yeah, massive album for Kylie, oh. that. It's the one that made the one that made a big... On in our house constantly. My brother bought it and just played it constantly. It was torture. Yeah. I seem to remember seeing a copy of that at podcast friend Gary's house. Not his, but I think his sister or his mum might oh, have bought it, I everyone, think. If there was a copy in every house, it was like that Monopoly. Yeah. Standard issue with that Kylie face on it, wasn't it? Sorry, yeah. everywhere. Everywhere. Yeah. everywhere um, number 11. Was. Yeah, let's not talk about it anymore. It brings back bad memories. Number 11, Wide Awake in Dreamland by Pat Benatar. <laughs> Benatar. Benatar. <laughs> Perhaps it's an album welcoming committee. <laughs> <laughs> Benatar. Benatar. Yes, uh, Benatar. Yeah, not a fan of Benatar. Benatar. No, I'm only a fan of it sort of thing when I've got a bit of a cold and a cough and I rub some on my chest. <laughs> you need Benatar <laughs> for smooth sleeping through the night. <laughs> smooth relief. I like it. That's Benatar. <laughs> Benatar. Benatar. <laughs> You're the only welcome committee you'll ever need. <laughs> uh, number eighteen. Red Strikes Back by Elton John. No, he's a crumpled flesh duvet now. <laughs> <laughs> Is he? <laughs> You've been following him again. I thought they warned you about that. I can't say it without chuck he's a crippled flesh duvet now and seems like someone with a whoopee cushion for a, <laughs> a whoopee cushion for a lung and a broken nasal spray for a nose. He honks more than sings. 
Like I say, there you go. That's what I think. He slows me 50 <laughs> quid. Give me it back. That's what I think of you, Harvey. <laughs> Give me it back. Give me my 50 quid back, Elton. Yeah, you could spare it. Hey. Number 28 is The Shouting Stage by Joan Armatrading. I don't know anything about Joan Armatrading. I remember recognised vaguely. Uh, number 38, Nobody's Perfect by Deep Purple. Live album of theirs. Yeah, fair enough. Uh, number 70, Dream of Life by Patti Smith. Uh, Patti Smith, the punk Pope Laureate, apparently. Um, fused rock and poetry into her work. Her most widely known song is, of course, Because the Night, which was co-written with Bruce Springsteen. Oh, I know that song, yeah. That is a good song, actually. Yeah. It's meant for lovers, because the night belongs yeah, to yeah. us. Yeah, and then a, a, a crappy eight, and crappy naughty's dance version of that came out as well. No, I don't want to know about that. I'm yeah. happy with the original. Yeah. Okay, there we go. But, yeah, it's when the donk machine stepped into popular techno music, so every track went donk, 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 da-da, donk, donk, and that was one of them. Nope. Don't like that. Number 80 is By All Means. By By All Means. Too many buys. <laughs> by, all, by, by All Means. By By All Means. I read it as By All Beans as well at one point. I was like, oh God, that seems like a very, very difficult thing to do, really. There's a lot buy of beans all. in the world. <laughs> what the, you, you want them all buying? So buy All Beans. <laughs> I gave you a command. Buy the beans. <laughs> buy the beans, I told you. Uh, American male-female vocal group consisting of James Varner, Lynn Roderick, and Billy Shepard. Those are names to uh, wake up to. I'd listen to them. Yeah, not for you. <laughs> not Nor I. I'd post nor a picture I. of uh, Brian Glover. Brian Glover. <laughs> I was watching him in Alien 3. Room of this Control. This is Room of Control. <laughs> uh, 17th of July, straight at number one, is now That's What I Call Music 12. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Um, in at number seven, 1977 to 1980, Substance, Joy Division. Chirpy. Best, best of Joy Division, I guess. Uh, good, old, good old happy Joy Division. Yeah. Number 12, UB40 by UB40. Yep. Have they just run out Eighth. of album names? <laughs> <laughs> they could have put a bit more thought into that, couldn't they? That's their eighth album. By the way, it features these amazing extra players. There's D. Johnson and Linda Sandiford on backing vocals, Patrick Tenui on guest trumpet, Henry Tenui on guest trombone, and Neil Ferris um, is either, well, it's either Neil Ferris playing the Ty Bells or <laughs> Ty Bells is playing a Neil Ferris. It's difficult to know really on that. Well, I do know somebody who's quite proficient in the Neil Ferris, so... So it must be Ty Bells. <laughs> Ty Makes Bells. Sense that you'd, Ty Bells is such a great name for a musician. There should be a Ty Bells. <laughs> Ty Bells, yeah. How niche... We need a. We need some Thai bells. Do you know anyone that could play them? Oh, hang on a minute. Let me find. A, let me ring Neil. It's the only person I know who plays Thai bells. I mean, even stranger as that is the idea that you no know, fancy coming across some brothers that can play opposing brass instruments. I know. So you've got the ten U's. Imagine the cacophony of practicing no, 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 sounds the, in their the, bedrooms no, would the, have been loud. The coincidence is that they're not brothers. <laughs> They just happen to share the same surname. The same unusual, unusual surname of Tenue. And the same same um, predication for playing uh, brass Wind-based instruments. instruments. Wind-based instruments. They, they both can blow and, and pump. <laughs> <laughs> but not at the same time. <laughs> otherwise, they'd be working Otherwise, be working in an armory. Or working for CRL. They can, they do one thing <laughs> they can blow and pump. Um, <laughs> number 14 is What You See Is What You Get by Glenn Goldsmith. Don't know who you are. It's the only album they ever released. Yeah, I don't. What I saw was, and I didn't want it. I didn't. Number 25 is South of Heaven by Slayer. Not my cup of tea. No, I've never been just 
it's too heavy for me. It's too heavy. Yeah. I just, it's not for me. Not but, you know, I appreciate that some odd. people really do like them and everything. And they're very, obviously, very popular and they had a change of heart and, and, you know, change of direction. But it's just noise to me. They're massively sampled as well in loads of industrial. Like KMFDM uses them as the basis of about 10 songs at least. Yeah, doesn't surprise me. Number 30 is The Long Cold Winter by Cinderella. <laughs> second studio album from them. Thankfully, I think it might have been the last. Someone gave them a second album. Unfortunately. Yeah. Uh, I suppose mid eighties there was just a mad rush for these kind of bands, weren't there, in the sort of west west coast? Yes, yes. The, you know, <sighs> sort of reaching the end of its limit now, isn't it? Towards we head towards the nineties, but yeah, yeah, absolutely. Grebo's appeared. Yeah, to is the start of because Grebo leads to yep. grunge and stuff and things like that and all yep. that kind of stuff. Absolutely. Uh, number forty two, Tommy by the Wedding Present. Never really heard of them. I don't. I just I've heard of the Wedding Present, but you know I couldn't tell you much of the songs by them. This is what some kind of compilation yeah. album. Yeah. Um, yeah. Number 47, Fearless by Eighth Wonder. Again, not a group I knew much about. British group as well, but I don't know really anything about them or Patsy, them. Patsy Kent's in it. Yeah, oh well, that's as much as I know then. I know yeah. that she was in it. Yeah, that's all I know as well. Number 47, fe- uh, sorry, I've done that one. Number 64, B-Sides Themselves by Marillion. I don't know, you know, it's going to no. be a collection of B-Sides, so I can't imagine what's worse is that that name, B-Sides Themselves, or mm. the fact that it's a load of B-Sides from Marillion. It's Ugh. both. It's a pun name. For, it's just <laughs> stupid. No. No. Uh, and at number 69 is Roachford with Roachford. Horror. There's two of him. <laughs> there is. Roachford, Roachford. Roachford, Roachford. Two co- well, they say you're never that far from a cockroachford. So. <laughs> is that a tube stop? <laughs> cockroachford, yeah, it could be. <laughs> could be. Um, <laughs> Oh, let's get round out the month. 24th of July. In at number two is Hits 8 by various artists. Yeah, it's the Aldi brand. Now that's what I call music. Don't release it at the same time. No. no. You, know, you never. Don't. I suppose this still got to number two. It probably still so loads. There's just all these songs that now that I call music didn't pick up, in it. Yep. Uh, in at number eight is It Takes a Nation of Millions to Hold Us Back. I mean, that's a yeah, good sem- entry. Seminal, seminal yeah. rap album. Um, I can't tell you anything about it because I've never listened to it. It's not my cup of tea, but obviously Gary opined its qualities... He did, he um, did. A few weeks back. He went off and listened to it. Did he? Um, yes, he did, yeah, yeah. Okay. Aggressively and loudly. Remember, he went to, we went to the uh, seafront in Cleethorpes with his dad to listen to that for some reason. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh the stories he tells. <laughs> um, his chips, he, when he, he listened to that. He also listened to this one as well, which was number 24, Don't Let Love Slip Away by Freddie Jackson. He yeah, didn't tell us that he listened said. to that with his dad as well, did he? No, he's in the same sitting as well. His dad turned up and went, we've listened to enough of that now, Gary. Check this out. <laughs> It's what it's what made Gary into the man he is today. That one, exactly, yeah. that one moment. Is that that's when he gifted him his his Foster's t shirt? It's like here you go. Absolutely. Thanks, yeah. thanks. And uh, gave Gary his penchant for thick mustaches. <laughs> True. Thirty first of July. In at number twelve is Small World by Huey Lewis in the News. Yeah, fifth album. No, I'm not a fan of them really. No, it's not my cup of tea. They're all right. The, the odd track. The yeah. odd track. If, if it's anything around Back to the Future, all right. Yeah. Uh, oh, that little bit that. of the song that you see in uh, Mamas and Women on the Moon. That's it. Yeah, that's it. Uh, number 21 is Assault with a Deadly Pepper by Salt and Pepper. And that's how you do a good pun out, pun title. That's much better, isn't it? Such a great title, that. It's a good album as well, actually. That second album from them. Really yeah. good. Number 25 is Follow the Leader by Eric B. and Rakim. How many rap albums are coming out? All really high quality stuff at the moment for these. Yeah. Really good. That's another good one. Yep. And finally, just to round out the month, at number 99 is The Greatest Hits of Leonard Cohen by, of course, Leonard Cohen. Yeah, old Appy himself. That's Gary's favourite uh, go-to album when he needs cheering up. I know, it really is, actually. He does. He yeah, loves he Leonard does. Cohen, doesn't he? He loves a bit of Cohen. Yeah, he does love a bit of the Cohen, yeah. Yeah, the Leonard Cohen brothers. 
<laughs> the films would be very niche and very depressing. <laughs> very. Not at all like the actual Coen brothers. <laughs> Just end end with Hallelujah, every single one. Uh, there oh, we go. Hallelujah. That's the music. We've, we've gone through a lot there. My highlight yeah. is is low polyism. <laughs> Are you suffering from low polyism? Can you not wear glasses? <laughs> if uh, if our discussion around low polyism has brought anything to surface for you, or you need kind of special help, we recommend that you seek medical attention immediately. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, find some sellotape for your glasses. <laughs> absolutely, and try not to walk into anyone unless the sharp edges of your head may cause damage to them. <laughs> yeah, don't put someone else's hat on, or you'll you'll rip it in two. <laughs> Uh, and don't try and brush your hair it's flat it's flat to your head and you'll just break your comb <laughs> <laughs> anyway there we go that's just that's the music we've got to go take a break so i think we need one and we'll be back we've got four more games to do i'm sure they'll be great uh. so please, please stick with us we'll see you in a bit novel Escape from the Commodore 64 by David Hearn is out now. Crash landing on a green planet full of vector graphics, can Sarah find a way to escape for real? Or is she stranded on a planet full of sun, sea and chippy tea forever? Imagine finding yourself in a cinematic karate game, having to rescue a princess or remain stuck under the run-stop key forever. What about finding yourself on a space freighter full of robots? Could you clear the decks? If you were transported back to a Wild West town, having to round up outlaws, could you survive until sunset? What if you were a wizard with a cat who must color worlds? Could you beat the game, or would a virtual guitar solo announce your demise? Sarah might just be another visitor, but she doesn't want to stay a while, never mind forever. Available from Amazon and all good online retailers, discover if there's a way out in Escape from the Commodore 64. Visit davidhernwriter.com to find out more. And we are back with four more games. So let's not, this is a long episode, I think it's going to be. So let's not dilly-dally, let's get straight into them. This is Tangent, budget title, two ninety nine got 61%. Okay, um, I'm just going to read straight from the inlay just to tell you what this is about. Graham, terraforming is a lost art <laughs> in the new age. It was age, an art. Okay. <laughs> in the new age of Cathartha. God's sake. Since the time of the Emperor Drav in 2462, the terraformers had been disbanded for being a waste of galactic money bank funds. Some suspect that as a final calling card, the terraformers created Beta Auri, a hostile series of 15 spinning disc pair planets. To guard them from attack, they set up an elaborate system of alien life forms patrolling each disc pair and awesome giant battle cruisers protecting the passage from one disc pair to another your task simple just take out all the guardians on each planetary pairing and as many of the battle cruisers as possible thus rendering the disc pairs fit for colonization again got that yeah i'll record it <laughs> all right this is from the micro selection at 299 it's the only game i could find that was made by andy merrill but it does seem to have a lot of demo people on it as well from what i could sort of see it's got matt stubbington uh, also known as lizard he did the title screen it's got huge bins and scuzz on visuals and demon on music so there's some demo 
pedigree some here. some demo, demo brains in there. Yeah, absolutely. So from the get-go, the demo coding is strong in this one. As from a visual and audio standpoint, mm. this is very good. The music on the title screen is an excellent piece from Demon, and the big wobbly logo at the top with raster bars, it just screams demo intro crack from that period. Yeah, I don't it just. It really does. Also, take note, Micro League Wrestling, all this is happening with not a hint of raster flicker. Or you could manage with some text and you still made it raster flick. I don't know how you did it. Um, it's all very smooth, very well presented. Under this, there's some vertical scrolling credits, scrolling credits, and a high score table. It's it's really nice. This title screen lo- looks business. It's great. Into the game, the stab of the fire button and the presentation here is equally nice. Uh, the game takes up the whole of the screen and all the UI is in the borders. Uh, the score, the player's energy, and lives are at the bottom. Whilst the radar is in the top border. So this is a defender drop zone style game just but without the hassle of rescuing people so it's just a you know bi bi-directional scroller gone and shooter the twin worlds of the story are mirrored visually on the screen with the landscape being on both the top and bottom of the display there's more good demo coding here used here with just four layers of parallax scrolling on both the bottom and the top landscape it's some really nice visual effects going yeah, on it's here very and because they speed up and slow down as you do so the parallax gets faster as you it's very clever it's really good it looks great Graphics on the landscapes are also very good and change with each level. And the main sprite, it's a bit Iridium inspired, but again, similarly pretty good. You know, the graphics people have done a lot of good stuff in. There's a lot of good coding behind this. Controls are fast enough and whipping back and forth around the ring worlds feels great. There's no problem. I I really like this up to this point. Uh, Technically excellent. It just seems that with all this going on, there's a distinct lack of game to this. It's as we've seen with other Mm. demo coders. With no one to rescue, the objective of each level is just to destroy the waves of enemies that sporadically appear. And once you've destroyed enough of them, you are told the area is clear and you will progress to the next level. In between levels, a large mothership uh, scrolls on uh, from the right and you get some nice music because uh, there's no music in the main game there's just music in these sort of interstitial parts and it's like a gun so it move, moves up and down and it's got a gun uh, gun turret and you've got to shoot this gun turret when it opens up um, enough times to destroy it uh, if you do so it gives you an extra life and refills your energy bar so you know it's handy to do this if you don't then you just you don't lose a life but you don't get the um, the bonuses um, so that's a bit of a pain once done it's on to the next admittedly pretty level and you just do the same there's 15 of these levels for you to fight through and it never really changes from the first one onwards that i could make out apart from the visuals there's a lot to like here and it's all the bits around the game itself because that is where this game is really lacking in the middle it's the game just not there there's too much space between waves so for quite a lot of this game you're just staring at the nice parallax scrolling landscape waiting for the enemies on the radar to show up and they're miles away and they kind of come really fast they're in sort of random waves and that's it so once they're there, you kind of chase them down and you kill them and then you just go back to admiring the visuals again and you wait and you wait and then again some more turn up and you shoot them and you wait uh, and it's just, uh, you know, it just gets a bit, it's just dull. It feels and looks and sounds great and it even doesn't kill you for colliding with the landscape. It does all the things we kind of like in stuff, but there's just so little to do. It feels like a demo rather than a complete game. You know, by this point, we've played loads of shoot ups. We've played lots of bi-directional scrolling shoot ups. We've played loads of good things with loads of stuff going on. We need, we even, you know, we expect there's a certain rhythm and pace to our games. Um, and that is not this like really long downtime and then moments of, uh, and then downtime. And it's like, yeah, peaks and troughs is great. But when it's mostly trough and the peaks aren't particularly that interesting 
And there's nothing to do aside from just wait for these. If you were picking people up, if you were rescuing them and had to drop them off and something to do in these moments, you know, between us, it would have added something. If there were some power-ups, there could have been something here. You, you picked up the pace, you put some power-ups in, you know, with the, with the visual stylings of this, this could have been, you know, a cracking budget shooter. Even up there, people would have probably remembered this, but I doubt anyone remembers it because it is, it is. it's really boring. It's a, per- it's not, poor- I mean, it's a, it's an adequate budget shooter. It's adequate. And that's, that's about the best you can say about it. But it could have been something really special. There's some really, really good coding chops behind this, clearly. But it's just, it's just, it's lacking in content. There's just no content to it. You know, the bits in the middle, the shooting the big uh, gunship and stuff is exciting. You know, that bit's all like, oh, this is quite good. And you're sort of avoiding it shot, nipping in to get a shot on it when it opens up and dodging out on it. That's all good. But the, the main game bit, that's really dull. we said this about another game ages ago. It was one by the guy who did, was it Equinox? He did one where we said the best bit was the bit in the middle. I don't know if you remember yeah, what it was. I had a deja vu when I played this. So yeah. And it was like, it said if they'd have made the bit in the middle, the main game and the, the main game, the bit in the middle, it would have been way better. And I can't feel that there's mm. some, something here there's just a lack of content to this and you know stupid story aside whatever you know whatever that is something this could have been this could have been okay but it's just there's just nothing to do there's not enough here to keep you really hooked and when aliens do it they quite quickly kill you and stuff and you lose a lot of energy and you're over and it's just it's too punishing when it does get going and it's just just lacking it's a shame really because i do like everything else around it shame what did you think yeah same i thought i had a weird sense of deja vu playing it I felt we'd played something very similar, even with down to the sort of iridium-looking ship and the way it fired one shot, but two shots as you sort of turned upwards and downwards. Um, only that version, that game was minus the you know the really incredible and complex parallax scrolling. I mean, it looked amazing, didn't it? This the game design, though. Um, I suppose it, what you could say is it's straight from the budget side-scrolling playbook, isn't it? Objects yeah. coming from the left, right. Uh, radar and such at the top scrolling backgrounds which don't kill you which was a surprise and then convenient patterns of enemies to shoot at you know in this particular game every now and again I scrolled I shot stuff really good sounds decent animations a bonus level where you could shoot the mothership which I lasted maybe a second on before I went to the next level so I don't quite know I didn't see much of that (laughs) different backgrounds as well nicely drawn the budget money you know for budget money it isn't a bad looking game is it Uh, the music from Demon is good it has all the pieces of the puzzle just not enough of them really to make it feel that much of a coherent whole and its lack of game design means it's technically good but vacuous it's a pity though graphics did look really nice and the shade and the sprite design and the movement had all the ingredients there they just didn't quite bake into the well formed cake that it perhaps could have been so 61 percent, about right it's not bad but i suppose it's only three quid but you're just not going to get a lot of fun out of it so there you go that's my thought mm. no yeah same as me then there we go that's a uh, tangent not sure it's called tangent either but never mind here's what it is here we go that's that one let's move on into our next one and graham tell us what it's like to be all skate crazy so this is a 9.99 game from gremlin graphics designed by robert toon created by christian p shrigley dave pridmore and greg holmes the code here is andrew green and robert toon graphics simon phipps and terry lloyd and the musician, of course, of course, it's Ben Daglish. Of course it is. And the scenario here, Freddy's the name and skating's the game. And as every streetwise kid knows, the only way to succeed is to gain street cred from your friends and onlookers. Did you get a lot uh-huh. of street cred? I'm sure you did. Oh, me, loads. Exactly. Freddy must buzz around on his skates performing daredevil stunts. Points are given for successful manoeuvres. But the all-important credometer is only hoisted upwards by achieving suitably posy feats. Keep mm-hmm. an eye on the ouch meter, though. 
as this measures your grazes and bumps and naturally leads to a loss of cred. Uh, Skate Crazy is made up of two separate but interfacing games, the Car Park Challenge and the Championship Course. Unlike ordinary computer games, you may pass from one to the other without losing your score or level. No Mm -hmm. games do that, anyway. No. Um, The Car Park Challenge. So in this particular part, I didn't get much further than this in this because I could never seem to get to the championship course. But anyway, you and your roller skating friends have taken over a disused multi-story car park where you are holding a competition to find the championship skater. Each level of the park has a course laid out using tires, boxes, traffic cones, tin cans, ramps, etc. It is around this course you must skate performing stunts to impress the judges while passing between timing gates. Fellow skaters will judge your performance and award marks at the end of the course should you complete it and these marks determine whether you may progress to the next level. There is a wide variety of stunts you can perform. Wide variety, my ass. <laughs> there, is a, there is a wide variety of stunts you can perform to There's impress a variety. the judges. Should we just leave it at that? Yeah. Jumping from the ground or from ramps, twisting in the air, hmm. jumping over obstacles, hmm. However, be careful not to tie yourself too much. Jumping, falling down, crashing and skidding are all very tiring and will register on your fatigue meter. If your fatigue meter reaches full, you will have to retire from the game. Totally exhausted. Knackered. Um, As you pass through the starting flags, the timer on the screen will start. You have until the timer runs out to reach either the next gate, a pair of cones, special cones if it's a backwards gate, or the flags at the end of the course. Failing to complete a section of the course uh, between gates results in the loss of one of your four lives. Reaching the next gate with the timer in the green earns you a bonus. An extra bonus is awarded if you didn't crash after the last gate. You may skip gates if you get lost or are in desperate trouble, but if a gate is skipped, you must pass through the next one. And you may only skip up to a maximum of five gates anymore, and you will be disqualified. <gasps> okay. Dun, 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 dun. So I played as far as the um, car park challenge. I didn't get to the, the next area. I, I just couldn't get, I couldn't seem to beat the, the, I couldn't get the score required to get me to the next bit. And if you don't do that, you get to this weird litter collection bit where you've got, I think just over a minute to collect 21 bits of litter and I only ever managed to collect 20. So I never made it to the that part. So um, anyway, so the main game window is large here and the graphics are actually pretty damn good. Um, mm-hmm. A nice main Freddy sprite, good details animation. It does look the part. Even the title screen is quite nice here. Bold, nice typeface, nice skatey looking typeface and colourful with good music and beats. All keeps things rolling. There is good presentation to be found in this. And the idea of the game is pretty simple. It's not too far off from Skate or Die or bits of Skate or Die, mixed with a little bit of 720 degrees. Perhaps it probably owes a little bit more to 720 degrees. Yeah, I think so, yeah. It could almost be 720 degrees. Didn't Gremlin do that as well, anyway? So the main play area uh, takes up most of the screen. Uh, There's nice scrolling, actually, here too. No bugs. Um, Across the bottom is your score, power, lives, timer, cred, ouch meter, and the judges with their scores. It all looks pretty good. The idea, obviously, to skate around through the slalom-type course and popping some stunts in for the judges to give you cred is all good in theory, and then the controls step in. The direction controls here are okay. There's a sense of inertia, and it kind of works as you skate. That kind of works in the context of being on on roller skates. But trying to do the stunts and moves is a royal pain in the ass. Pressing fire to build up the power for jumps often leads to an ouch or a sudden stop in front of the ramp or the tyres or whatever you're trying to jump over. So it just stops dead in its tracks and you have to go back, try and get up the speed and figure it out again. Mm-hmm. You move pretty fast, but trying to move and pull off the stunts just doesn't feel responsive enough. It just doesn't happen when it should. There's this yeah. weird build up where instead of just pressing fire and jumping, you have to sort of press fire down and build up the power to jump, which is a really stupid idea in a game like this. It kind of ruins it. So, and the idea then, of course, is that when you're mid air, um, you can actually pull off some of these stunts by spinning the joystick round. It just, it doesn't work. It's just as simple mm-hmm. as that. It doesn't feel like you're doing anything. You can skate backwards and you can do spins with really rapid rotation of the joystick, but I didn't seem to get anywhere with it. 
And the most powerful jumps don't really go very high. So it feels kind of underwhelming. So when you do, a, it's like just sort of going, hey, hey, sort of jumping like a couple of centimetres in the air. <laughs> it doesn't feel like you're, you're doing stunts. And I think that's the problem. So you don't get the sense of achievement. And the game doesn't give you the high fives and the payback and the rewards for doing things. There's no, apart from the judges popping up with some random numbers, which isn't very exciting. There's no audio cues. There's just nothing to make what you're doing very exciting. And a game like this needs to push you onwards. It needs to give you that drive. You know, whoa, whoa, doo, 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 noises, sounds, little flashing that says, you know, well done or wow or something like that. There's a million mm-hmm. and one ways you can give feedback to the player in a game like this to give them a sense of achievement. What you're giving them is an 8-bit high five. But in this, you're not getting them. You run over a couple of things and you get a little bit of audio feedback. You don't know if you've picked it up. You run into these little jar things. Sometimes you tip them over. There might be a bonus for that. It just doesn't really feel like it's giving you much to go on and because of that as you progress around the car park it all starts to feel a bit dull and lifeless as you just kind of ouch and sort of mini hop around and periodically just stop in front of the jump or tires or just knock the jump doesn't quite happen when it should and it doesn't feel responsive enough when you get to the end of the slalom and if you've got enough points you obviously you go to the next stage i didn't get there but if not it's up to that you know scoot around a, a sort of maze if you like trying to pick up the 21 litter objects which if you don't do that, then it's back to the that's it, end of game and you're back to the beginning again. And that's a bit frustrating. So it just, it feels it feels oddly punitive at that point. Even though you've been given an extra chance, it's not a chance really. It doesn't feel like an extra chance. So it just doesn't feel right. If that had worked out so that, because you have to get 20 points to go to the next stage, it yeah. would have been better if, if you were like 10 points short, then you had to collect 10 pieces of litter on the next stage and so you collected enough to get you over the hump as it were but it doesn't work that way so even around the car parks and you know uh, sorry if this game just starts to feel a bit frustrating at that point even around the car park there are objects that get in the way proving proving that even in a game that does not require it gremlin still can't resist throwing loads of random objects at the player no this is the curse of gremlin so in this one frisbees beach balls loads of stuff just randomly get in your way for no reason whatsoever why do that in a game where you've just, the, the skill of this game is trying to get around the track on your roller skates mm. and pull off stunts. You don't need the additional frisbee dynamics and things being thrown at you and things getting in the way. It doesn't need that. It's just, it just it's a needless addition to this. And it's just classic gremlin where, you know, well, uh, we don't know. It feels a bit, a bit empty. I'll just throw in a load of random stuff to get in the way. It's jet, it's just really annoying that they continuously seem to do that in every game. So you've got to kind of sort of sneak around things as well in this, and you know, and it's a bit, really becomes a bit of a sort of a scoot around and a bit of, you know, you're going to fail a lot and, and fall over and ouch a lot in this. And you will run out of time on the course. And if you do all of that, it's fail. It's a pity because it's all graphically and orally pretty top draw stuff here. It lacks the feel of skate or die in that kind of, you know, epic sense, but it's got a nice vibe to this. It's just, you know, I guess there's a reason why skate or die, I know it's skateboards and it's, this is roller skates, but there's a reason why epics is thematically better than this British skate crazy. It just, that dynamic works better. The, this sort of doesn't quite work. And even if you got to that championship course, you've got four levels there. You've got to dodge and duck obstacles. You've got to cross this lake. You've got to, you go in London underground at one point. And I, I never got there, but I bet the graphics for all those sequences are probably pretty damn good as well. Because mm-hmm. the graphics, as I said, the graphics are good here. It's problem is, just the joystick controls are a bit of a letdown. The way you jump and the way you do stunts is not responsive or dynamic enough, and you are not given enough feedback to feel like you're really doing well. And everything's a bit underwhelming. So it's a shame because I think this game looks looks the part. 
All the graphics and the fun in the world can't stop this game from becoming underwhelming. And that is such a shame because I think they could, we were nearly there this time. Oh, and in the manual, by the way, there's another big comic if you want to read one in this. But what did you think of it? Yeah, I've noticed the same thing. It's a good looking game, this. Nice sprites and the like. Uh, it's a, like a really rather like a back, low-key background ambience to it. They've kind of, you know, there's a nice tune in the background. Just two burbles along, nothing too in your face, but enough. Keeps going. But I didn't find it fun to play. I just didn't. Um, I got, by the sounds of it, I got a little bit further than you. It's, it's, I got, I did find all 21 bits of uh, litter. And upon finding them, I skated up, automatically skated up to a new, new, uh, park, car park that was trick, more trickier to get around. So that didn't help. It, I don't know. It's some kind of weird eco BMX simulator type thing. You're having to collect little sort of bits of litter, sorry, whilst performing stunts yeah, around yeah, a park yeah. and you get judged by, just got, uh, judges and stuff and then you gotta pick up more litter i don't know p- picking up litter is not why i play games no why is it a bmx though no it's like no it's like a bmx simulator it's got that kind of you know that sort of going around a track thing i mean like yeah, super sprint. Yeah, yeah. it's like a zoom, yeah, zoomed yeah. in super sprint it's that that's what i mean not like yeah, bmx yeah, yeah. but the gameplay itself not on a bmx i mean yeah, yeah um so it's that you know that kind of you trolling around a you know you're trolling around a track so unlike um 720 where it's open this is this has you basically just follow yeah, it's the slide track. Style, isn't it? yeah. yeah so it's that yeah, but pick it, it's the picking up litter bit. I, I don't care. I mean, I pick up litter in real life if you do, if I drop some, but I, I don't want to be forced to go around this. And when I do fail, I felt like I was doing like community service. It felt yeah, weird. It's, it's like weird. it's just like a weird thing. Like, oh, you failed. You didn't get enough points. You weren't good enough. So out, out to the thing and there's loads of litter there. So go pick it up in a minute. It's like, well, okay. I don't know. I don't, don't remember doing a crime. I thought this was a competition or something I'd entered. It's all very strange. It looks nice, as I said. I think it feels a little too empty, though. They got 86% in it to deserve that score. I don't think there's enough here. And like you said, I think the controls hamstring it. Because they they don't work as you expect them to work at the times you expect them to do what you expect them to do. I don't understand why I just would sometimes stop dead at the bottom of a ramp or just not quite jump in time or whatever. Or or it just just feels weird. You know, this is only a few percent of skate or die. I don't think there's any comparison between the pair of them, really. This should have been a lot lower by my standards. It looks good. It sounds nice. But it just doesn't play very well. And I think that there's there's an annoyance here. Um, that uh, that just puts me off. And you're right, by the way, about the annoying constant stuff that just bothers you for uh, for no reasons. You know, like I said, balls, frisbees, just just stop it. It's just not necessary. There's enough challenge in navigating and just play, fighting against the controls. I don't need to be fighting against random crap as well. Um, I don't know. Yeah, yeah. I'd I'd, I'd have marked this a lot lower. This would have been sixties for me. Yeah, I don't most. know how it got eighty six, and but um, you know, maybe that explains the five hundred quid prize on the cover. <laughs> <laughs> maybe maybe indeed there we go skate crazy not particularly crazy either uh, there you go let's move on all right so up next uh it's a sequel uh a budget sequel i don't really see any budget sequels this is thrust two thrust two two quid it's got 59 percent. so uh oh you know the first thrust is well liked <laughs> this one clearly not um, so here we have the sequel to the very well-regarded original Thrust, which is certainly one of the budget labels, you know, standout titles. This is one of those games, but you know, everyone remembers Thrust, and everyone turned into like Thrust, even if it wasn't for me, because I can never get on with the keyboard controls. But that was <laughs> let's uh, I'll come to that in a minute right now. So in Thrust Two, it's all joystick, so I should be going yay! But once again, the monkey's paw has clenched. <laughs> <laughs> and mocked me and given me just what I asked for, except it, it's not. I'll come to it in no. a bit, but no, it don't work. So um, this is clearly the creation of prog rock fans is one thing I did notice. It's coded by Dave Korn, who did the arca- who did arcade classics and BMX Kids. 
And it's got graphics by none other than Gary Penn, Mr. Gary Penn himself, mm. ex-Zap. The plot of this states that the war against the Galactic Empire continues. Planet 2112, okay, has been designated <laughs> as a... It has been designated as a forward base for the next offensive offensive against the Empire. Problem is that Planet 2112 is covered in a cloud of noxious red dust and needs to be purified as this dust prevents the existence of any life on its surface. To do this, you must collect the precious orbs from beneath the ground and bring them to the surface to be fed to the atmospheric converter. Bring enough of them and you will rid the world of the red dust and you can get on with the war. The way is tricky though, as the orbs are protected by denizens of the planet and only by equipping yourself with various chemicals can you hope to take them down. So, okay. Uh, uh, uh. Yeah, not only are there Rush references in there, the 2112, but the high score table tells us to go listen to Osric Tentacles. So, um, you know. Oh, yes, the red yeah, dust. Definitely. Man. Uh, anyway, when this loads up, we have a full-on... It's like a DOS colour-style, single-colour psychedelic display going on. It's a really weird title screen, this. Impressive. Demo-style demo, demo style sort of thing, but it's really odd. And I'm not sure, you know, is this kind of pulsating, sort of green, undulating stuff just going on? It's kind of weird. And there's also a really strange piece of music by uh, Dave Korn as well. That just meander, it, it meanders throughout the entire game. And I, I don't know, does it fit what's going on? I don't know. This game feels really odd. So the game itself is jettisoned. The wireframe visuals of the first one. It now has fully filled in sprites. Your ship is teardrop shaped and controls now with a joystick with up for thrust, left and right for rotation. I still think this would work, but it doesn't work here. It's far too sensitive, way too sensitive. And you find yourself careering all over the place. At least I did. I don't know if you did as well, but I was just all over the shop on this. I just couldn't get a bead on that. It's too fast and it's it's not just not quite balanced right. And also, unlike the first game, this is kind of an open world explorathon. You're kind of free to go wherever you like. Instead of lives, you have a shield and this depletes with contact with the walls uh, or any of the enemies that patrol the depths. Should your energy hit zero, it's game over. So it's not like lives or hitting something in the first one. Finding the balls to deposit to the top is the first port of call. And luckily, one is right next to you when you start. So when close to it, you press the space bar and this tethers you to it. Just like the first game. And like the first game, this is all physics-based, so you now have the added weight of the ball to contend with on the end of the tether. You need to get it to the processor quickly as they only ha- also only have a finite time before they disappear which is annoying. I don't know why that would be in there. I don't know. It's just frustrating because this is a game that requires finesse and calm controls. When you add into that the physics of the ball dragging you about and you having to react that quickly, it's a recipe for not an enjoyable thing. It's like just making a cake with crap and you eat it and you're like, yeah, this is a crap cake. (laughs) Well, of course it is. All your ingredients are crap. You've missed the wrong things. Just no, it's bad. So yeah, this is an o- a more open version of thrust and controlled by joystick, but it's just it's certainly not as good. The visuals are not as sci-fi as those in thrust, and thus they're not as effective. Thrust had a look to it; it had a it had a feel to it. Those kind of lines that it used, just those lines and the sort of vector graphics, which were sprites. It had a look. It looked like nothing else on the system, and it kind of worked. You know, we've gone on about lines, but it was fast, and it moved well, and it looked good. This nah, just looks like a lot of other games. The visuals also make no sense in line with the story. The caverns are yellow. Why go on about red dust when there's none yeah. to be seen? Yellow. Yeah, it's all yellow, but there's no red dust to be seen anywhere. And there are also trees and plants everywhere, so why go on about nothing being able to live? Don't understand. And none of this seems to tie in with the epic galactic warfare either. It's like this backstory of nonsense that the game just has nothing to do with. And I don't like it when it does that. And I know it's the 80s, and I know it's budget software, and they just write this any old crap on the thing, but it's like, you have no need to. It's just... 
does, does we need the power from these power cells to, to get to the top in order to power up the planet for some reason? You don't need this galactic nonsense. It, it's you know it's 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 adding less. It's it's subtraction by addition. Yeah, and, and I so that, I, I don't like that sort of stuff. It just feels like an afterthought and just takes away from what could have been just a simple thing. The controls are not as precise as the original, and the focus target of the first game is lost here. So in the first, you just had to get in, find the one thing, and get back out again. It was tricky, and there was only a few levels. But you know what you had to do. Uh, this just sees you rambling. Cha- I was just just going. It was chaos. I was just rambling chaotically through some ca- samey cave-like environments, getting really lost and really bored very quickly. I just it was just bouncing around. Didn't know what I was doing. Couldn't find anything. Found the odd thing to sort of pick up, and then I could shoot. And well, it was just, it scrolls about smoothly. You know, Dave Corn is a good coder and stuff, so the it all works. So the physics and everything, you know, the nicely drawn and animated. The, the you know, so there is some nice bits to this. But it, like I said, it feels the perfect example of less is more, or more is less, sorry. This is more is less. Everything that's been added or changed has been to the detriment of the original. And in trying to expand the scope of the first game, they've missed what made it so compelling to people. The cold visuals and basic sounds gave it a strange atmosphere, and it's sorely lacking here. This all feels like it is played for laughs as well somehow, and it just doesn't work. It, 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 it's weird. I don't know what they were thinking when they did this. I don't know. I don't get it. I think this is a huge misfire. I think keeping more in ki- akin to the original would have been better. And I think this is a step in a massive wrong direction. But so no, I didn't like this. And I think that 59% is being a bit generous. Maybe for the technical thing, maybe there's a game here and stuff like that and it's two quid. But I think it's a bit of a it's a bit of a mess. What did you think? I didn't really get on with it, I'll be honest. I mean, I quite liked Thrust. But did, did Thrust need a sequel? Was was there a reason no, for that? No, I don't was think there... it did. No. And if you're going to do it, this is you got to add something to it. This adds is it adding anything other than colourful sprites? The graphics, I suppose, you might call them good. I would say derivative. But I like the vector aesthetics of the original, even though they weren't vectors. I quite like that that look. Yeah. So this kind of takes away from that, which makes it not as good. The music was interesting, isn't it? I mean, I'm not quite sure what I was listening to, but it was you know it was interesting enough. I quite like that. But otherwise, I found this tedious and really annoying to control. The joystick controls, it, it just made it really erratic. And and I found it yeah. really, once I'd picked up that orb, it was just now and impossible to do anything meaningful. The, the response time, you know, I'd, I'd be shooting off in the, with the joystick. It would be about, seemed to be bouncing around the screen. It was really, it just, all the finesse and the deliberate finesse of the first thrust game seems to have been lost in the mix somewhere here. And what you end up with is just kind of a, I don't know, just a, a pale imitation of the first one. Um, mm. it fit, this feels like a sort of, uh, not a sequel, this feels like someone's made a Thrust copy badly um, and just takes away from all the good things that Thrust was was about. So I, I didn't like it. Um, and it's budget price, I know, but I'd, I, if I was going to play a Thrust game, I would still opt for Thrust 1. I wouldn't play Thrust 2. So yeah, so would take. I. So would I. Even with keyboard like controls, a, no, I would I would play no, that first I, one. I, I actually went and played Thrust again on the back of this. I thought, well, I'll give, let me just have a look, see how they play and compare. And this Thrust, Thrust, the first game is streets ahead of Thrust 2 in every way. It just feel, it feels better. It looks better. It plays better. It sound is better. Makes more sense visually, graphically, you know, design is everything's better. Thrust 2 just feels like it's a bit, bit of a colorful craziness and it doesn't work. It doesn't work in the same way anyway. Not for me anyway. No, not for me either. There we go. Thrust 2. Obvious joke there, but I'm not going to say it. <laughs> it's beneath me. It's beneath me. Don't do me. it. Don't I'm not going to. I'm not going to. It's beneath no. me. Um, we've got one game left. Let's get along to that. And Graham, it's the second in our Wars games that you've, uh, you've had this episode. So tell it us is. now, you've, you've, you've fought the Wizard Wars. 
Now tell us about the Road Wars. Road Wars. Um, this is from Melbourne House. They're back. They're back. In pog form. <laughs> in crap um, form. <laughs> coded by Francis Knight and the Pips. Um, <laughs> <laughs> graphics are by Nick Spearman and Chris Collins. The music is by Wally Bebben. Okay. Mm. Um, this was 19, uh, 19%. This was 90% for 9.99. A lot of nines in this episode, isn't there? 9%, 19%. Yeah. Honestly, I don't know if I want to read the instruction manual instructions for this. I might just read the Presede version that's off the back of the box because the actual manual versions are an epic tale. Oh, so really? At least. Oh, mm. yeah. I mean, uh, the back of the box is kind of a summary. I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll go for the first couple of paragraphs. I'm not, there's actually loads of it, isn't there? This is a, a full page and a half, column-wise, you know, three columns full of in-depth stuff. Really? Uh, oh, yeah. What, for this? Yeah, exactly. It's the beginning of the 25th century, and the whole of humanity is entering a new golden age of enlightenment and reason under the beneficent rule of the Galactic Federation, which has brought peace and freedom throughout mankind's realms. And as no other space-faring races have been found in the galaxy, there is no cause for confrontation. With the advances in cybernetics and artificial intelligence, there is now no need for any human to have to work. All the necessary tasks are carried out by robots or computers, leading humanity to a life of pleasure and idleness. Sorry, with the entire galaxy as its playground, there is always something new to see, a new sensation to try, a new thrill to seek. The whole of the universe has opened up as a great pleasure garden for all. What? Yeah, I know. Like all other planets in the galaxy, Armageddon has prospered under the new order of peace and prosperity. An odd name for a peaceful, prospering planet, Armageddon, but there you go. Though the with the surface of the planet blackened and seared from the last ever war, habitation is only possible on the moons. This encounter is between the forces of the Galactic Federation, all robots, of course, and those of the Tarsians, the only race not to welcome the Federation. I didn't think they'd met anyone else. Anyway, <laughs> the Tarsians ruled five planets in the galactic core. They dominated the other races on the planets in a despotic rule of violence and barbarism. <laughs> the exploratory task force sent to the sector first landed on one of the planets occupied by the Tarsians in 2371. Although rebuffed by the Tarsians, the subservient races pleaded with the Federation for deliverance. Within a year, the Tarsians had attacked five Federation planets and for the first time in 13 decades, the Federation found itself at war. Armageddon found itself at the centre of the conflict, even though it had been a Federation planet for more than 50 years under its early name of Sarak. What? And it goes <laughs> on and on and on. God, and I thought Tangent was bad. That's one column. It goes on. The war left its mark on Armageddon. I'm not going to go on. I, I'll, put the, I'll post this into the show notes so you can go read it yourself. But it's just a whole epic tale. Um, the planet gets destroyed by war... They achieve a large degree of notoriety. Sarak rose like a phoenix from the ashes as Armageddon, um, a museum to the destruction and a monument of peace. The population forced by the war to move to the moons where they were linked together by a series of space roadways. These in themselves became tourist attractions with visitors from all over the galaxies come to marvel at the engineering. However, there's a problem. The computer's gone rogue. The roadways are no longer safe for traffic. Blah, 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 blah. You have been chosen to clear the roadway. You are a controlled battle sphere. Blah, blah, blah. One of you will control. The work must take, you must work together to clear the road. Blah, blah, blah. Your battle sphere is armored with a protective shield and it goes on and on and on. <laughs> Destroy the sparks by blasting the correct side panels, but do not be indiscriminate. They are all that are keeping you on the road. Shoot too many of the side panels and you and your opponents are vulnerable to being forced off the road. And in space, there is a long way to fall. 
blah, blah, blah. That's that's not all of it. This, I'm not going to go on for much longer. That's, honestly, there's loads of it. Um, the object of this game is to clear the road of obstacles. <laughs> um, on either side of the roads, there are panels. These serve to keep you on the road. However, some of these have turned rogue and are producing sparks. These are blue, whereas the normal panels are brown, brown, brown. You need to shoot <laughs> these panels, but where? As you shoot out the panels, the chance of being forced off the road increases. When you have cleared the road of rogue panels, you will move on to the next level. There is a range of other hazards to impede your progress. Satellites appear at the side of the road and shoot laser beams. Freaking laser beams. Uh, small balls run on the opposite direction to you alongside the road. If you hit these with your shield up, they will destroy your shield. If your shields are down or you have been destroyed, then your battle sphere will be totally destroyed. Chevrons in the middle of the road cause the same damage as the balls. <laughs> as you run over the arrow pointing towards you in hey. the road, you will you will be rewarded, spelled R-E-Q, uh, so recorded by increased fire... It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. <laughs> I mean, that's that's a lot of instruction, isn't it? A lot of, you know, description for what is essentially a game where you race along a road as a giant metal ball. I was wondering when we we're going to get to that bit. Yeah, exactly. That, all that all that's the preamble for this bloody silly game. So in this game, you play a ball. It's a one or two player game, mainly two player. And you roll along the road, avoiding stuff and shooting at things to clear the road, I guess. <laughs> I mean, just when you think that CRL have been along and, and, you know, the games of shite are all sewn up, along come Melbourne House with a great big massive brown road to nowhere. <laughs> you know, you can't take the crown off them. Whichever way you look at it, this game is a pair of balls on a brown road. And if that isn't some kind of euphemism, I'll eat my hat. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, the game is played on some kind of 3D-ish road. It's kind of an early Mario Kart type view, but fixed into one straight road. And it's a reasonable effect, with stripes down the side of each of the road, giving the all-important sense of rolling... In your rolling ball battle sphere, you trundle down these roads, harassed by other players in a battle. On the top of each screen is a y large yellow sponge cake, which I think is meant to be a planet or something, and there are also some token parallax stars going downwards too. It sort of has the makings of something, but it's not quite there. The look is nearly there, but the controls are horrible and work against you every opportunity, as does the battle sphere. Objects zoom towards you, and shooting means you need to move the joystick back and then rotate. Well, it's not conducive to a game of this type at all. The controls are horrible. Obviously, there are some comparisons you could draw with Trailblazer, but nothing good. They're not why, why would you I want mean, to? Well, exactly. They both have a ball and a track. I suppose that's the only thing you could say. And this is nowhere near as good. It's not even the same league. Oddly, there are two versions of this, because that's, yeah. that's all the game plays out. You start the game, you run, you're trundling, rolling down a track, things come towards you, you have to pull down, and sort of shoot them with your turret gun. All the while, you're gonna if you're playing one player, the other ball is going to be hitting you from the left all the time to try and knock you off the track. That's it. Yeah. That's this game. That's it. That's all there is to it. There's two versions. One's got a brown road. That's the broken version, the broken brown road. No one wants that. No. Um, and this other version has a blue road, which is the one that's in the screen grabs and the screenshots on the on the cassette inlay in the box. Um, and the one that's in the zap review, I think, or is the zap might have the brown I one. Think, I think I'll have a look. Keep, keep going, I'll have a look. And well, that, both. that review is the brown one. So, so, so I played both versions, the brown and the blue. As did I. <laughs> uh, the brown one is clearly not fully functional. Um, the sprites aren't very well drawn and not very well realized. And the road is brown and it's not very good. The blue one is actually a little bit more complete. It feels like it's working a bit better. The controls are a little bit more responsive. The road looks a bit better. The side parts that are meant to be on there actually appear more often. And the 
shading on the balls is better. It's much better shaded balls. They actually look a bit more metallic. So they look a bit more like battle spheres as opposed to what they look like in the brown road version. So I don't know. I don't quite know what's why these two versions, what the, the dealio is with that, why that even happened. I, I didn't even look into it. There's probably There might be something on games that weren't about that. I don't know. It's very strange. This game is a real misfire though, really. Mm-hmm. Um, if you were going to play a game where you're racing down a track as a ball, you're going to play Trailblazer. There's no no reason to buy this full price game when there's a budget game that's out there. Imagine it's probably budget by now. Or if not, you could buy Trailblazer, whatever price that was. Um, there's even a sequel to Trailblazer out there, which is better than this. Yeah. So you've got you've got options, is what I'm saying. What you don't have to do is put up with the bloody road to Brownsville, which is not a nice thing. Um, there's no, <laughs> I, nothing I, don't I enjoyed that. about this game. I don't remember that song by uh, Talking Ed. <laughs> <laughs> the, the audio and the, the sound, everything's not working correctly in the brown version. The blue version, it's marginally better, but I don't quite know which version you would end up with when you bought it. I suppose all the elements are there in some way for something. This game clearly needed you know, more time in the oven, so it was less brown and sponge cake and more blue and good sprite shading. That might have worked better in the end, but it didn't come out that way. In the end, you're trundling down a brown road as a ball, heading towards a giant sponge cake. And that ain't a game <laughs> I want to play. This wouldn't even be worth it at a budget price. This is just a full whack game like this. Not on your Nelly, mate. Nah. What did you think? Oh, awful. What an awful, awful thing this is. Straight from the backsides of some arcade. It's an arcade conversion, isn't it? Did you not know? No, I, I didn't even think of that. I didn't, yeah, I didn't no, yeah. It's, an arcade, it's, oh, it's an arcade conversion. It's oh, an Atari dear. arcade game. Oh, dear. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It is. It's, an, it's, it's not a great arcade game. I, I, I look, and it's, it's pretty rubbish. It's an awful port, terrible controls, and it must be the death knell of Melbourne House now, although I've just looked... On Lemon 64, and they do actually release some other games. They've got that ah oh coming us. out that we looked at. And oh there's another God one. Us. They put this Barbarian, and there's another one, um, which I can't remember, uh, something else. They've got a couple of games coming out, but they're just dead. I think they're just horrible sort of ports from Amiga versions. But yeah, so in the arcade, this has that, you know, the that's there's got the definite Atari sounds of the 80s. You know, if I told you to think of Atari sounds from the 80s, that doom, heavy bass, doom, and it does sound like that, the arcade game. So I had a look at that, but you know, it still looks pretty crap. It doesn't look like a very good game. So why anyone would think it was a good idea to port this, I have no clue. And then, as you've rightly said, why is the rotation of the ball holding down the fire and using the bottom diagonals to spin the turret? Don't get it. I just don't understand. Just don't bother. Please, just don't. Do not bother with trying to shoehorn anything in the arcade cab onto the C64. It's a pox on this, a pox. I thought Wizard Wars was going to be the worst thing with Wars in the title this week, and, you know, that'll learn me. This was awful. I played both versions, like you said, the brown and the blue version, and the brown version is woefully broken, and the blue version at least does work in some degree, but I still found it awful to control. Just, yeah, horrible. Just dreadful. It just doesn't feel good. Because you have to pull down to release your turret, and then you sort of hold down and go sort of across the back it corners of the sense. joystick to rotate the turret. It's, it's just naff. Yeah, because, it, you know, it's, it's got way more... Con- so it's trying to shoehorn con- extra controls that are in the arcade version into one joystick and one button, and it just doesn't work. And on top of that, it's really boring. There's nothing on the road. There's just some balls that come towards yeah. you, and you're just bouncing each other around. It's just crap. This was a bad thing to end on. 19% is generous. This is really bad. I really hated this. No, didn't like it at all. No. I've put a copy of the essay that came with it, by the way. So you can grade it and pass it back to them. It's in there. I'll put it in our show notes. I'll, I'll put some red red marker on it. Must do better. Stop writing. Stop. Just stop. They needed to stop 10 paragraphs in. Goodness yeah. me. So. That ain't great.
Oh, there we go. This is a long episode. We've covered a lot. What have we looked at? Let's have a look. We've looked at the Great Guyana Sisters, which we liked. Mm. Um, even though, you know, this is the highlight of the, highlight of the um, episode yeah, by Country Mile. Um, it is very, yeah. very good. It's, you know, if you very like good. Super Mario, but whether you play it or not now, or go play Super Mario is you know question yeah. for you. Yeah. Uh, Trigger Happy, which was awful. Wizard Wars, which was, you know, confoundable. Deluxe yeah. Monopoly, which was, you know, good version of Monopoly. Good version like of Monopoly. Uh, Tangent, which was empty. Great presentation, <laughs> but ultimately empty. empty. Uh, Skate Crazy, which was the opposite, really. Great presentation, but too full and uncontrollable. Yeah, yeah. Uncontrollable. Um, Thrust 2, which was a trippy weirdness, which didn't really need to be made. And finally, Road Wars was a conversion, but which nobody wanted, asked for, needed, or cared about um, yeah. ever, 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 ever. And there we go. So that's it. That's it for this week. Coming up next week, we'll be finishing off July. Like I said, it's only 16 games. We've got games like Brainstorm. Mm. No idea. Carnov. Mm. Don't look great. Pro Golf. No. Who knows? Infiltrator 2 the next day. Oh, God. <laughs> I love that. It's just the next day. All right. <laughs> uh, Bionic Commandos. Mm, interesting. Uh, could be interesting. Great soundtrack to that. Great, great soundtrack to Bionic Commandos. I have a, when I was sort of testing for those, there's two versions of that that are in the thingy. It's a USA version, isn't there? Yeah. It's not oh, dear. Good, that one. <laughs> the, the English, the, what I played with it, it looked okay. It's got 90%. It looked okay. You have a look at the... Uh, there was something similar where we played the American version. It was crap. This is... Is it uh, 720 degrees, wasn't it? That had a NAF version. It did, US yeah, version. it did. There was another one as well where the US version was one of the versions. was really... Paperboy? No, I want paper. I can't remember what it was now, Tom Med. But yeah, you have a look at the Bicon Commandos version. Uh, there's something called Laser Tag. You know, it, I never no. understand video games based around Laser Tag. No, be like paintball simulator. Yeah, no. just shoot. You can shoot stuff. <laughs> Stupid. It don't don't get it. Fifth quadrant, no idea about. And finally, mm. Stormbringer. I'm not seeing a lot of high scores there. So there's a couple. There's a couple in the 90s, mm. but there's a lot. There's a lot like worth it for revisiting the Bionic Commandos music, which is Tim Follin at his absolute best. Yeah. Yeah, you want really to have a look good. at the American version, though. We'll see about that anyway. We'll talk about it next week. Um, and that's it. That's what we've got coming up. If uh, you want to support the podcast, now that we're back up and running and, and normal services will resume, but even if you don't, we do other stuff as well. You can do that by going over to our Patreon. That's patreon.com forward slash that to the past. You can do that. You can, you can throw us a pound every month if you wish and that's greatly appreciated or you can go for the full fat experience which gets you access to ad-free episodes early the ability to ask us questions for our ask the podcast stuff access and access to our discord server and all the stuff we've got going on there and we'll also be including our patrons in the episode 100 i know we've had a hundred episode but the hundredth of these up to the past proper ones uh, yeah, which the is episode soon. not the hundredth recording yeah so the episode 100 of zap to the past so we'll be and this will be including that so if you want to get in on that um uh, head over there and, and sign up and that'll be cool there's already a nice bunch of people over there and we, it's always a good laugh so um so come and join us and obviously there's a couple of bonus episodes a couple of some bonus little bonus episodes that we recorded some interviews and stuff that are on there as well that you can get access to if you can't do that it would be really cool if you could rate and review us somewhere itunes podcast addict wherever sort of thing just give us a you know you don't have to write much or anything or just give us a rating that would be cool helps helps get people aware of us and that that would be nice and good aside from that you know just keep listening it's always good uh you can contact us it's all in the end anyway i'll, I'll give up uh this has been a long episode graham it's been a long yes. long episode it's back to the old days feels like <laughs> it is a little bit this one yeah but there you go we say we're going to do stuff and we do stuff uh, have you got anything else you want to add or should we let the uh, listeners get on with their lives no, I think let's give their ears a rest to know that um, you know, we've got interesting things to come so we'll, we'll see you next time when we do that 
Indeed. So, as ever, I have been Adrian Mills. And I have been Graham Raddings. And you have been listening to Two People Afflicted with Low Polyism. Please give generously, and we will see you again (laughs) next week. Goodbye. Thank you for listening to the Zap to the Past podcast. We hope you enjoyed our deep dive into the world of Commodore 64 games, as well as the music, films and TV from around the 1980s, driven, of course, by the issue of Zap 64 magazine published at that time. We will return with a whole new batch of games and stuff to talk about next week. Until then, if you want to listen to or download previous episodes of Zap to the Past, and why wouldn't you? They can all be found on our website at zaptothepast.com, as well as being available on Podbean, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Deezer, Audible, Player FM, and, well, pretty much anywhere where we can upload them. By the way, we do always love to hear from our amazing listeners, so if you'd like to contact us about anything in the podcast or beyond, you can do so by emailing us at zaptothepast at gmail.com. We're also active on Twitter under at Zaptother, as well as Facebook, Instagram, and most social media platforms. Just search for Zap to the Past and you'll find us. Oh, and if you like the podcast and what we're doing, please do like, share, review, rate us. It really helps. Something, apparently. The Zap to the Past podcast is written and produced by Adrian Mills and Graham Raddings and recorded at Flaky Bits 2.0 Studio. All opinions expressed are those of the writers, and while we indeed love Zap64 magazine, the Zap to the Past podcast is not affiliated with it in any way. Stay safe, see you next time, and remember, we play these games so you don't have to.